Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, the place where you will always get an explanation because you always deserve one. My name is Rory McNamara and I am here today to begin what really is the second phase of our project as of course we are now down to just one promotion, alternatives abolished, competition crushed, the WWF is the only game in town, pal. Joining me in the time machine this evening to take a look at April 2001, I have two esteemed guests. First of all, we have the man who seemed extremely positive and enthusiastic about post-buyout WCW on these shows back in January and February, and then along came March. Yes, indeed, it is the Black Widow of our podcast, Mr. Pete Kimber. Pete, how are we? I'm very well, thank you, Ruth, for that intro- in- introduction. Uh, yeah, I think Bob took over my little role at the end of WCW, so... I had to take a bit of a, a backseat to end it after my uh, enthusiastic efforts at the start probably, of the year. But yeah, we're good probably leave. just as well. But the, the knives were being sharpened, Peter, so lying low for a month was probably I'm, in your I'm, best interest. I'm now back in a happy place, put it that way. <laughs> you are indeed. Great to have you on. And also today we have a man who is back by popular demand. Yes, really. He is the number one fan of Buff Bagwell in this parish. No, I really do mean the number one and only fan. It is, of course, Bob Colling. Bob, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks for having me. And I was really hoping to avoid uh, the Buff Bagwell thing. So I want to issue a public apology for suggesting that I think it was back in June or July of 1999 to suggest that Buff Bagwell would become a superstar. Uh, it turns out he is probably one of the reasons why WCW is no longer in exi- uh, existence. But I'm going to say it right now. By the end of 2001, Buff Bagwell will be the WWF World Champion. Book it. Uh, you had to spoil it. I was just about to say better late than never, Bob. But there you go again. There just I can't am, help baby. Yourself, can you? I can't jump off the ship yet. <laughs> you might be Commitment. pushed before too long. Yeah. But just before we dive into what the WWF have given us over the last four weeks coming out of WrestleMania 17, I want to take a little time to discuss where we are with what is to become of WCW now it is under WWF auspices. And yes, it still sounds very, very weird to hear and say that. This month, Jim Ross has met with a lot of talent who are not part of the original deal, i.e. those who still have contracts with AOL, Time Warner. On our final proper WCW show last month, we listed all of the names who came over to the WWF, whether Vince liked it or not, and Stacey Keebler, and we can possibly add to them the likes of the following. Booker T, who would need a contract buyout, but seems keen to have one. Scott Steiner, who JR told needs to behave himself if he is going to come in. (laughs) I do hope JR's hat was covering his face at the time. And perhaps most intriguingly, Rob Van Dam. Jim Ross is on record as saying his meeting with Mr. PPB was one of the most positive I had all day. And it's just a matter of hammering out a deal that makes sense for everyone involved. Some more names to conjure with. Kevin Nash is content to let his current contract run out before he makes any decision. I'm sure that one shocks you. Scott Hall is also being spoken of highly, but he would likely need to take a pay cut. Sting has all but left the wrestling business. Although, as we all know, the only thing sure about the Stinger is that nothing's for sure. As far as TV is concerned, nothing has been agreed as of yet. 
There are extremely tentative plans to start running with a tape show on Saturday nights, airing on TNN from the middle of June, although that would hardly be the glittering reboot the more optimistic WCW fans had in mind. And any hopes of WCW-branded pay-per-views have also withered on the vine very quickly. Guys, I hate to say I told you so, but Pete, I told you so. It's already, <laughs> it's not looking very promising, is it? Uh, so that not. list of names, you know, there's, where there's life, there's hope. Yeah, I mean, there's some big names. You did mention uh, Dallas Page, I'm sure, when he won't want to be out of the ring or the limelight for too, yes. too much longer, will he, as well? So another one that could potentially show up at some point. Um, actually, after all my, you know, let's keep WCW alive and, you know, come back in June and start again, it's probably not a bad thing. They haven't literally shotgun it straight into a, um, a new promotion immediately. Does leave lots of guys in limbo, but I think rather than doing something really quick and just not thinking about what they want to do, kind of makes a bit of sense. Um, it's just having a lot of these guys now just sort of, I guess, hanging around, being being a part of nothing. And Jim Ross is meeting the the bigger guys. Rob Van Dam's an interesting uh, uh, person that they obviously want to have as part of it, or at least in the federation itself. And I think I've read a bit this this month around some of the, let's say, mispushed people who uh, are now floundering, probably, that might get an opportunity to go to WCW, inverted commas, and sort of start again there, even though it'd be in the exact same sort of ownership and management of Vince, etc. So, yeah, interesting time, but I think we're just nowhere. We're where we are in, what, it feels like deja vu for me from January and February, but Vince is the man with the uh, the finger on the checks and the... Uh, I guess I think on the trigger as well, isn't he? So be interesting to see what actually happens. Bob, this is the first time you've got to talk about the demise of WCW and what might or might not happen with them now that Vince is very much in control. What do you make of that list of names we discussed there and the plans such that they are for TV to maybe possibly sort of ish begin in the middle of June? Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm interested probably in most of the names. Um, Rob Van Dam's meeting probably went pretty well because out of all those people, he was the only one not getting a steady paycheck <laughs> uh, in ECW. So that doesn't really surprise me. I personally, I mean, I love WCW and, or, or loved it, whichever way you want to word it. Um, I would probably keep the brand WCW off television, at least for the rest of this year, because I think in a lot of fans' eyes, you're kind of, it's it's like a negative feeling. I mean, you're just talking about it. I'm, you know, you're thinking about the last three months or so. I mean, it had improved <clears throat> probably, uh, what, late fall of 2000 um, until the demise there. But I think keeping it off until maybe early next year would just make you, would make fans miss it and maybe be more receptive to it. Now, I understand they've had, just in the last year or two, what seems to be like eight restarts, you know, taking all the titles off people or, oh, hey, we got new bookers here. I'm telling you on TV that we write for it or whatever. But um, I, I think I would just keep it off there. Uh, the Saturday, but their idea of a Saturday night TV show is, is pretty much telling you they don't see it as a main focus. I don't think a lot of people, wrestling fans at least, in the demographic that they're really going for, are going to be at home on a Saturday night watching TV. I know I wasn't on at home on a Friday night watching ECW. So I don't, 
I don't think I like that placement of it if they're going to try to do it. But I think I mean I, I might even try to avoid using Nash and Hall and stuff. I I would maybe just look at the younger guys and and like Scott Steiner was fresh into the main event scene. So out of the handful of guys you've talked about and the plenty of that haven't been mentioned yet or updates for them, I, there's definitely interesting matches that's you know for instance Steiner and Booker could have in uh, WWF. But I I don't think there should be any kind of rush to throw them out there onto WWF television. Yeah, Wade Keller postulated that some of the main events for next year's WrestleMania will include the likes of The Rock versus Booker T. And just imagine this one, Steve Austin versus Scott Steiner. Yeah, mm-hmm. now, now, now there's a promo battle I'd like to be front row and centre. Yeah. Again, maybe wearing JR's hat in front of my face. But I agree with you, Bob. I think it's way too soon to throw any form of WCW onto WWF programming right now. They can afford to take their time on this. They don't need to rush. They can, to use the phrase I used last month, they can afford to put it on the shelf. Has <laughs> been was only too keen to tell us in his promo last month, but they can afford to do that for just a little while. Maybe have still keep the bios with Shane burning. They had that thing on TV about whether the big show is going to join WCW. JR threatened to jump there. So just keep it fresh in people's minds. But I'd only refer to it as an additional resource every four to six weeks or so and come back fresh with something new at the beginning of next year. And most importantly, that gives them nine months to sort out a proper television presentation. Because, Bob, you're quite right. Uh, three days hence recorded canned show on a Saturday night. Uh, if that's what they think of it, then you might as well not bother. Okay, We might know that is what they think of it, but you know, at least give us half a chance here. You know what I'm saying? So... I think WWF, there are people there in the back, maybe not the head honcho himself, maybe possibly even Shane. And maybe it is life imitating, art imitating life, just a little bit here, who do want to give this a chance. And I do think it deserves one. So don't waste it. I could see why they'd be keen to throw it out there quickly and then have WWF crush them and... It's all over by the shouting by, I don't know, SummerSlam or something. I'm sure that must be tempting for a certain somebody, but they can afford to row back. They've got a lot of other stuff going on for now, as it is, for better or worse. So keep WCW in people's minds. Just mention it here and there, but let's not shoot their bolt too early, because otherwise it will be a greatly wasted opportunity. Vince holds it in his hands. He can crush it right now if he wants to. I'm sure 99.999% of him does, but... With ratings just starting to take a downturn over this month, the other 0.0001% of him might, and I do mean might, just win the day. But we'll wait and see. So what we're going to do, everybody, going forward, until WCW is an ongoing proper concern, should it ever be so, we are going to take like this about 10 minutes at the beginning of our programs to discuss where we are in lieu of a standard news presentation of the older listeners might well be used to we will be dropping in news as we go throughout the shows it's only right and proper because nobody else is really doing it to give wcw a little bit bit of a leg up while they still exist even if it is a name only so we'll do this again next month and we will update you there but for now we very much have on-screen matters to deal with oh do we ever now that i got what i wanted from wrestlemania And now that I got Vince McMahon in this ring by myself. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. 
If you want me to whip this some bitch's ass, give me a hell yeah. I don't think he hurts you. Give me a hell yeah. Well, it ain't gonna happen tonight. Like I'm supposed to grant your every single little wish. I'm supposed to let you people feed off of me, sponge off of me like a bunch of parasites. Am I supposed to continue to do that? And you know what? I look out here, and you people are just the same as the people in the airport and the little people at homes watching their little color TVs thinking, why Stone Cold, why? You know, when I sat there and I said, hey, how about a big explanation and a real slow one for the people here in Texas about why I did what I did. But the way, shut up, you little bastard. Man. I'll let everybody out here know I can whip everybody in that stand's ass. Anyway, getting back to the explanation, the way Oh, I'll get to the rock in just a second. The way I got it figured, I don't owe you no explanation. So, those of you with long memories will remember, when I was doing our blurb at the end of WrestleMania 17 and we were discussing that handshake, that it was me, and I hold my hands up, saying that everything was in place for the Stone Cold Steve Austin heel turn. All they had to do was open up Raw the next day with a 10, 15-minute promo, with Stone Cold Steve Austin elucidating in full detail about why he turned heel, turned his back on the fans, and aligned with Vince McMahon. My heart sank when that roar began with Stephanie McMahon Helmsley coming down to the ring to demand a country-whipping match with Trish Stratus, but I suppose I should have expected as much. At least, though, at the top of the second hour, we did get it. Well, sort of, anyway. You will have heard Austin there teasing, blasting Vince McMahon with the stunner, which Eric Landstrom called for him to do at WrestleMania himself, and I don't think he's the only one. Teased the hell yes and said it's not going to happen tonight, that he isn't going to cater to his fans every whim anymore. He has now aligned with Vince McMahon, and that's that. That's the only explanation we get, because we were told in no uncertain terms, and I've already played it for you twice in the last 15 minutes, we don't deserve an explanation. Bob, if you're going to turn Stone Cold Steve Austin, the hottest babyface there very possibly has ever been in the history of the company, and although I wasn't in love with a lot of his late 2000, early 2001 stuff, you cannot deny his overness. But if you are going to turn him heel, by aligning him with Vince McMahon, for crying out loud, there's got to be a reason for doing it, and straight out of the gate, they put themselves behind the eight ball because we didn't get one. Yeah, it's kind of funny. To, I kind of took it as, <laughs> like, they don't know why he did. So we'll just go out and say, 
you don't deserve a reason because there is no real logical reason for it. Because I mean, I, sure, maybe to some extent, the Stone Cold and and Vince feud has gone a little stale. I mean, it's going on what almost five years of kind of the same story, but by all accounts, it was still a strong storyline. Um, so to kind of try to refresh in it by having him turn heel and then you come the next night with, we don't really have an explanation for it because you fans don't deserve it. Then there's no heat for the fans to continue on with it. It's more of just blatant confusion. And when he comes out, there's still that reaction of like, we don't want to boo this guy. So you have to come in. If you're going to do this, you, there has to be a concrete plan as to why. And if I had to guess as a viewer, I'm thinking that at WrestleMania, it was, you know, 930 at night. And they're just like, we're going to go for it. We'll figure it out tomorrow. And then they never figured it out. So I'm anticipating the next, however many months or maybe a year that they try to do this, that it's just not going to come across well, because I don't think the Stone Cold Steve Austin character is one that fans at all want to boo. I think he's just too likable for that brand and to have him with his most hated rival. And again, not having any real reason to do it um, just seems like a massive mistake creatively for them. Oh, we'll come to that. Don't you worry. Pete, I said on the WrestleMania show that this didn't seem like it was a plan that had just been formulated in the five milliseconds before the show started. Looks like it might have been, as Bob says. It's just a, a missed It's a missed opportunity. It's, a, you know, the, the biggest WrestleMania, the biggest show they've had for many a year. The outcome, as shocking as it was in the eyes of the storyline that's been going on, to then obviously Jim Ross is demanding, isn't he, answers and how have you done this? And then we're waiting, and as you say, Stephanie comes out. So clearly they're still maybe writing something for the first hour of Raw to think of how they're going to get him to come out and give a reason. The only reason you can think of is just that he got help to win the win the title. But I just think to myself, it's just a, a strange thing to do. And it, it's like when Hogan turned heel, people were generally just sick of the character. They were sick of, you know, the the red and yellow and Hogan. And I mean, even Hogan was thinking, tell you what, I need to, I need to do something different. I've done this for God, I don't know how many years with them, 15, 20 years, the same thing he's always done pretty much. So, but Austin, as, as Bob said, and obviously yourself, Robert, he's still so popular because he is that anti face character where you could not like him, but at the same time, you're always going to cheer for him because of his actions and how he comes across. He couldn't give a, a shit about anybody he, he doesn't trust anybody that's his character and then just to align with his absolute mortal enemy um and then just say no nah, i'm not going to tell you you don't deserve it it's just it was just a bit of a a massive come down and you wonder how it's going to play out but I, I was sitting there waiting as probably a lot of people were for him to do the stun on mcmahon and there's a huge swerve he'd swerved on mcmahon to get the title and that assistance that obviously he received and, and that kind of thing but that never happened and now we're going to wait for that to happen until so they can think of a good reason moving forward. So, yeah, a wasted, a wasted uh, adventure, really, and a wasted heel turn that I'm sure Austin could play heel really well, but he already kind of, he is, isn't he, in a sense, his character. It's very much anti-establishment at the very, at the very least. 
but I was thinking, guys, how, how would you have wrote the, the storyline? What would you have had him say? I was trying to think for myself, having gone through the month and watched the, the shows, what could they have said that was the reason why he's, he's done what he's done? Well, what do you guys think that, that they could have wrote in as an idea? See, it's really tricky because I have thought about this, but it would require a gigantic leap, kayfabe-wise, and it beats logic into the ground, stomps a mud hole in it, if you will. But if the reason is going to be that he is aligned with Vince McMahon and he sold his soul to the devil to get what he wants, then you've really got to go all in with it. Coming out of WrestleMania 14, now we had Austin there done up in the suit and he's got his teeth done and he's posing for the pictures. And then, of course, he strips him into his, uh, <laughs> to his skivvies, <laughs> smacks him in, smacks him in the stomach, gives him the stunner, all well and good. But that Austin that was teased for about three or four minutes there, it's a, a stretch of all stretches. Now, I, Stretch Armstrong himself would struggle with this one, but if that's what you're going to do and that's going to be your blueprint reason, then you've got to go all the way with it. Just saying that he's, we'll touch on this again a bit later on, but saying that Vince is just his insurance policy, well, that's nowhere near enough. That's no reason to align yourself with him, especially not somebody who has been your mortal enemy for the last three and a half years. I also don't think it helps that he's still wearing the BMF jacket, still got the black boots, still got the black trunks, the glass still smashes. He still salutes the crowd with the belt, by the way, which is something he should stop doing right this very second if he wants to be booed more often. But they haven't changed enough of his presentation. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe my microwave is talking to me just as well, really, because it would constantly say, Rory, clean me over and over again. But no matter. It has been said on the Vine again, that's doing well today, that the reason that Austin himself hasn't really embraced this heel turn over the last month is that he's still a little bit worried about that sweet, sweet merchandise money. And the fact that he's still spending most of his time sporting a new Austin 316 t-shirt, there might well be something in that. Bob, what do you think of that and what Pete said about any other way they could have done to make this work right out the gate? Well, I think you're absolutely right about having to change the presentation of him uh when you've kind of been you know uh force fed the presentation of you know uh coming off the middle you know, beyond the middle rope and with the belt and all that stuff you're naturally just going to continue to cheer kind of no matter what the situation is uh, or how he's being presented uh in regards to how i would go about turning him heel the only thing i can really think of is you know he kind of represents uh like the working man you know going against his boss or whatever and i'm trying to think of like you know politicians were oftentimes you know against various topics whether it be you know tobacco or whatever the case is you know uh, marijuana all that stuff but then you know suddenly they stop fighting against that and then you know you'll go through the records you're like oh hey this politician just happened to get $480,000 from Big Tobacco and how they're like, whatever, man, it's totally cool. So I guess kind of my idea would be he just got tired of fighting the big man. And at some point you have to, you just have to join. And he maybe would be like, I realize that I'm fighting for all you guys in the crowd that are unemployed and you're living off the system. And now I'm going to live off my system. And that system is Vince McMahon. And, you know, the next couple of months or whatever on TV, 
instead of having him fight a guy like Chris Jericho or Chris Benoit or all these high-level guys, why not? Because there is no competition, so you're not going against Nitro or anything. Why not have him be like, you know, tonight you're going to fight uh, Crash Ali, and then tomorrow night you're, you know, on or on SmackDown you're going to wrestle uh, S.A. Rios. All you know, just some just absolutely non-contenders. Creatively, is that you know intriguing? Probably not, but it's like it's it's at least an out compared to. Oh, I, you don't deserve anything. I think as viewers, having some substance of the story that you can maybe eventually build on is better than, ah, we're not going to tell you anything. All this reminds me of the Monty Python sketch. Vocational guidance counselor. Vocational guidance counselor. Vocational guidance counselor. Vocational guidance counselor. Played by John Cleese. And Michael Palin comes in after 25 years of working as a chartered accountant. And all this data is extrapolated. He sits down with him and John Cleese says to him, we think the best job for you would be a chartered accountant. And all he wanted to be was a ringmaster. All he wanted to be was a lion tamer. See, I linked myself a bit too early. That is correct, yes. Well, I now have the results here of the interviews and the aptitude test that you took last week. And from them, we've built up a pretty clear picture of the sort of person that you are. And I think I can say without fear of contradiction that the ideal job for you is chartered accountancy. But I am a chartered accountant. Very <laughs> good. Well, back to the office with you then. <laughs> but that's what I mean. It's he's still working the same way as well. He's still stomping mod holes, still doing the stunner, all of these things that are pop worthy. Mm. He's still, still getting get, still getting the beers thrown at him. He's still getting everything. <clears throat> he, you know, even that little something he, he could grab the beer and chuck it on the floor, couldn't he? Not open it up and and take a seat. There's those character things that could just disappear. To show that something has changed. That's the Austin point. Austin being it? a Austin becoming a teetotal hippie peacenik could be quite interesting. You can imagine that, can't you? <laughs> it was tie-dye t-shirt. I'd be or, do, <laughs> or just going back to, I don't know, really the prohibition era or something. Yeah. It's fanciful to say the least, but that is the character change. It's like the old Jim Cornette line. If you are a heel turning face, change nothing. If you are a face turning heel, change everything. Let's talk about Triple H, because you know how much I want to do that. (laughs) Jumping back to the first draw of the month, the cage match between Stone Cold Steve Austin and a rock. Rematch from WrestleMania the night before, and we know how much Bob Colling loves pay-per-view rematches taking place shortly afterwards, and he's right, I agree with him. This one was in a cage, as I say, lasted about eight minutes. It was actually pretty good. Rock got 95% of the offense that I thought was quite smartly booked until the low blow and then Austin and Vince took over and then the rock is trapped inside the cage the rock is trapped inside the cage with stone cold steve austin and the chairman of the board He hates Austin! 
God, don't tell me. You can't be telling me that these three, Austin, Triple H, and McMahon, are on the same page. Please don't tell me that. Oh, the love of God, the love, the business, they assaulted by three men and a damn sledgehammer. Cheers when Triple H came down to the ringside. It really does take all sorts, doesn't it? But it looked for all the world at the face turn they had been teasing throughout the night. They had a little exchange with him and Vince saying that, well, you lost at WrestleMania. Austin didn't. And I think people were ready for a Triple H face run. Ugh, get the shivers just talking about it. But after staring Austin down for a while, he nailed the rock and forming the two-man power trip, as they would become to be known. And yes, the us, the, they us, indeed, they are the two people who at the last two Survivor Series tried to kill each other. But hey, Bob, all's well that ends well. Uh, yeah, this is a guy that <laughs> arranged a hit-and-run attempted murder on <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin in November of 1999, and now we're supposed to think, oh, hey, we're great pals. There's a couple of things I don't really like about this. Number one, the continuation. I don't care. Rory, if a year and a half from now you were to run me down with your car, do you think I'd ever be your friend? <laughs> no. Well, we are talking about you and me here, Bob, and we go back a long way. But no, I don't think so. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if Eric, if Eric were to hit me with this car, I'd probably think about it. But no, if, oh, if, right. <laughs> <laughs> But. No, I mean, if someone were to try to literally set up a murder plot on me, uh, I don't, th I don't think I would want to be their their pal. I don't care whatever the circumstances are. I just wouldn't want to do it. I do, and I and here's a thing too that you're talking about with Triple H and Babyface or whatever. I don't think he's a likable guy at all. Like likable character. I uh, well, I, welcome back, Bob. Welcome. Yeah, back. I mean, I can't see myself being like, yeah, the game, Triple A. Like, no, this guy is a, he is kind. He's like the franchise Shane Douglas, multiplied in terms of like ego and everything by about fifteen hundred, and oh it just drives, it just drives me nuts. So I can't see how this guy is seen as you know could be seen as a as a good guy. Um, so the continuation for that. I have a real hard time with. I think the most obvious thing here is if you were to go back to WrestleMania, you don't you don't do this heel turn with Steve Austin, uh, shocker. But the next night, why don't we just continue on with Stone Cold and Triple H leading into the summer? That seems to be the money feud. Now I know that they wrestled that No Way Out in a really good two out of three falls match, but if I'm remembering correctly, that ended like kind of on a fluke, like the, you know, hitting him with a sledgehammer and it just happened to fall on top of him. Yes. So there is kind of like that wiggle room of like, yeah, sure he won, but it's borderline lucky that he did. And I think that the intensity there would have really carried the television, but now it's these, these two guys that literally were trying to kill each other. One of them almost did kill the other are now best of pals in, 
it's all centered around power. But the continuation for it all is it's kind of laughable and as a wrestling fan, it's just not really a believable story for me. So I'm just not really buying into it. Now, see, this is why as hard as it would be for some of us to cheer Triple H, um, Pete, if you are going to do it and they've teased it twice alone over the last six months, then the natural lay of the land and the way the stories have gone, this was probably the time to do it. But somebody uh, didn't really fancy being the number two baby face. Hmm, funny that. And you kind of think, is this is this to test the water of how unpopular they can make Steve Austin to somehow see that Triple H, or tell show Triple H, should I say, how popular he could be as the face against the ultra-heel Austin? Is That's the only kind of way I can see this has been thought out, or that's what someone's thinking, or not, or it's just literally, as you say... He backed out because I don't want to take a backward step or don't want to be, you know, one run under under this guy. And it just suspends the disbelief in in, in them now being aligned is it's it doesn't look right. It looks very uneasy. And it, maybe that's by design or I mean, they are just, you know, walking around with chairs and attacking everybody probably now. And it's just a bit it's just come out of nowhere and it's almost like there's too much power now with Vince, with Triple H and with, with, with Austin. It's very lopsided now in terms of, of what's happening. But uh, it can only, if for me, that's, in my opinion, that's the only way they can probably tease it out is if they show Triple H that, you know, if you, if you were to turn face in the next, let's say it takes six months to get Austin fully healed and, booed and hated and everything like that and then Triple H can suddenly grow a, a conscience I mean it's not going to you know I just as Bob <laughs> oh, I assure you that's never yeah, going to happen exactly it's just not there is it so I don't get what what it's all about I've just I just said in my mind did Vince Russo book this scenario I just it's just it's just I don't know very odd and it's just all coming out of you mentioned power and that's why I guess it's the the two-man or me potentially three-man power trip. This is where it's all come from. I didn't, the first question I think is the most obvious one is that why in God's name have you aligned yourself with Mr. McMahon, a human being that I know in your heart you have despised more than anybody walking the face of the earth. Well, that's a pretty simple answer. It's an insurance policy, Jim. How stupid are you? I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin. I said I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin. I said I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I just... Steve, don't you think, don't you feel any, any remorse for turning your back on the millions of fans around the world that have supported you? 
appreciate the response I'm getting right now. Why in the hell would I feel remorse for anything I've done, Jim? When did Stone Cold ever say, hey, I love to be a hero. I want to be a hero. I want to be these people's hero. When have you ever heard Stone Cold Steve Austin say that? When have you ever heard me say, yeah, I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I care about, and I love the WWF fans? When have you heard me say that? You've never heard me say that, have you? And you sit there behind your stupid little desk every week, and you go, the rattlesnake, the rattlesnake, the rattlesnake, hello, Jim. I come out here and I say, DTA, don't trust anybody, and especially don't trust Stone Cold Steve Austin. I don't feel sorry for one single soul out here in this God-forsaken town or in America or anywhere in the damn world. All right. Monday night on Raw, you stood in the ring right next to a man, Triple H, that orchestrated the most elaborate conspiracy to run you down like roadkill with the express thought in mind to put you out of the WWF forever. How can you become all of a sudden an ally to Triple H? Are you going to talk about Triple H behind his back? Because Triple H ain't out here to defend himself? You're going to talk trash about Triple H? Is that it? Shut up. I'm talking. When I talk, you listen. Shut the hole in your face. If that man was sick enough to run over Stone Cold Steve Austin with a car, if he was sick enough to try to put me out of this business, and he was not successful, but if he was sick enough to do that, wouldn't you want him on your side too? If he was sick enough to try to kill me, wouldn't you want him on your side too? No, <laughs> not really. I wouldn't. However, I do think this is going to become quite a rather famous segment. Because this was in Oklahoma, and JR eventually thought, you know what? This has been a mistake, this interview. Interview over. So Austin, being the dastardly heel he is, who did get a few more boos this time, it must be said, decides to attack him. However, that wasn't good enough for somebody. And I'm already word perfect on this, so I'm going to try to say it along with the great man himself. Wait a minute. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Damn it. Stop it right now. What do you think you're doing, Austin? What do you think you're doing? That's your best friend out there. And you're taking it easy on your very best friend. Damn it, Steve. Come on. Open him up. As my throat was ripped out from the inside, doing that impression. <laughs> Bravo, how has he managed bravo. to do that every week non-stop for the last four years? I just wonder how. So there we go again. It is at least this time it's showing that Austin is under the thumb of Vince a little bit. But I still don't think it's enough. And it's just a little bit too transparent. I've said before that getting heat on JR is lowest common denominator stuff. If you want to get booed, attack JR. It doesn't really mean anything. And already, just four days in, that's what they're doing. Yes, you've got the best friend aspect. You can possibly put that in the win column. But it's right on the line between win or loss, in my opinion. Bob, what did you make of this segment? Well, I take a drink. 
well, I completely agree with you because when you do something like that to a guy like JR, JR is not going to get his heat back. So there's no substance to it. You just, okay, wow, you beat up your best friend who happens to be a commentator. Was it an effective segment? I, yeah, I guess, because it still hasn't be that like ruthless heel. But I kind of feel like to some extent, maybe not necessarily to Jim Ross, but uh, the previous incarnation of Steve Austin would do the same thing. Um, so I'm not really sure how, like, if that kind of works for the heel part of it. I don't know. It was just weird, and I'm sh- maybe you'll mention it, but I thought it was hilarious that they proceeded to show pretty much the entire segment on Raw uh, the following week. Yes, I, I'm starting. I, I was like, am I watching the same show? Or I was really confused for a moment when I was uh, watching it. Um, but again, that just kind of shows you that when you have no competition, you can basically just recycle whatever you want. Because where are the viewers going to go for wrestling? There's only one option. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's the segment's better than what they did, or like you said, didn't do the night after WrestleMania. But realistically, for me, it doesn't really change like me cheering or booing Steve Austin. So I don't, I don't think it had the the right substance to kind of carry the angle. Uh, to start off, really, or in the opening stages of it, as you say, it was the uh, the the just what they thought about in the four days after coming out on Raw was right. What can we do? Right, that's his best mate. Obviously, Jr's shouted his name as we know after every episode of Raw and after every pay per view for the past whatever four years. So let's go and beat the crap out of him. And and Vince totally over the top um, with the open him up scenario. I think it's I don't know. It's just it's. It's something, as you said. It's 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 a modicum of I don't know, and let's a chance to boo him. But I don't know if Jim Ross is enough of a a character, enough of a you know, as you lay the lowest common denominator was a great comment. But it's just it's not enough, I don't think, to still warrant you know this this heel turn and and this this new new way that and and, and as Bob rightly said, I think I heard him say for regarding the, getting the heat back. And I was thinking maybe he could get Dr. Death Steve Williams to come back in his plaid um, waistcoat oh, and jacket and maybe, and maybe uh, stand alongside JR as his protection going forward. But we've been there haven't we, once before, so that's not going to happen again. So, yeah, I think it's just a bit of a, what can we do? We'll do something to make him look dastardly and horrible and, you know, kick the crap out of Jim Ross. But then Jim Ross is back on the show next week with a nice shiner, but you know, still a bit pissed off, I think a bit disgruntled. That's JR's face normally. So, yeah, it didn't. It didn't. It hasn't done a great deal. It hasn't moved it forward that much. So uh, they've still got work to do, haven't they? There is. Pete, you said earlier that Austin could play an effective heel, and I do think he's getting the little things right here. I think a lot of his facial expressions during this segment were excellent. I loved his little sneer, his ah-didums at JR when he said he was possibly losing his best friend. Not that JR seemed to be taking him to task about it. They just had a vacant, come gormless expression on his face as if to say, what, you're saying this to me? So the little pieces, I think he's got. But the big picture isn't there. This stuff should be tertiary, should be supporting the big heel run. We've seen in the past on this project, obviously going back a few years now, that Steve Austin can play excellent heel. And he's showing some of those chops here. 
but he hasn't got the real reason to latch into it, the proper character motivation to make these great minor touches really mean a lot. I was going to say, back in stunning Steve Austin territory, wasn't it? And uh, the Hollywood Blondes, and he, he did play a very effective character that quite cocky, quite arrogant, you know, part of that, that, that kind of faction, dangerous alliance back in the day and things like that. So he's got previous. Um, he won't talk about the ringmaster probably too much um, in that little run he had there, but he's got it about him and he's got enough of a character to do these things. It's just, is he all in though? You mentioned about the, um, the merchandise and the, the machine that is Austin 316. Is Steve Austin 100% down with this? I think he's probably getting there, but he certainly wasn't probably on that first roar of the month because I don't think they have anything ready for him. So if he can be fully in, he could take this all the way. But you still kind of think he's going to turn around and just do a stunner on Vince and we get back to the crowd pop and back to normal, don't you? That's where we kind of think it's going to happen in the end. And then Bob on Raw, after seeing the entire segment again, he and his new best buddy beat up the Hardys and Lita. To this time, no heat whatsoever. And that really is a worry. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that's uh, concerning is probably an understatement, really. I, I kind of, and I guess I'll just say for the continuation of the month, I kind of liked what they were trying to do with that. But again, it's, it's really, like they're going to certain extremes because they're they're seeing that you gotta kind of take it up a notch in order for fans to kind of react to it. But like you said, when you I mean the Hardy Boys and Lita are probably one of the more popular acts all around. Probably probably in the top I don't know three at this point, probably. Um, and for the crowd to just not react to it, I don't think it's a reflection of. Uh, they're not caring about the Hardy Boys and Lita getting attacked. I think it's a matter of not caring about the heels that are doing uh, heels in quotations, I guess that are that are doing it. And I don't kind of I don't blame them because Steve Austin is not a heel that I'm going to necessarily pay to see to get beat up, which is kind of the whole point of having a, a major heel. You know, you want it's like Ric Flair in the '80s and late late 70s or whatever like you want to see him get beat up by various guys and I I just I don't see that connection happening and probably also to a point are the again I liked it but in the in the wide you know range of fans are you know the Hardy Boys and Lita at all a you know realistic threat to to uh, Austin and, and Triple H I mean no but I can appreciate the attempt that maybe they were trying trying something radically different, and obviously they kind of do a pivot, but I'll probably talk about that a little later. See, I think the problem with attacking JR and attacking Hardys and Lita, that would have been all well and good if they'd done that, say, two months down the line, when we have, right. to use that word again, established why Austin is now this way. Now he's just attacking them willy-nilly out of just mindless nihilism. Well, that's not a million miles removed from the stuff he was doing for the last four years. And he was loved more than any other superstar in history for doing so. Different. If he's going to attack them, that's okay. He can do that. He probably should. But we've got to know what makes it different this time. And Pete, that's the issue, isn't it? I think the fans are seeing through it. 
Definitely. And, and Bob made a good point about the, the threat that Lita and the Hardy boys face from Triple H and Steve Austin. Well, I think any given Sunday, we know who wins that tag team match, don't we, going forward? Um, so is it just a bit of cannon fodder to stick out a popular a popular act that are, are over with the crowd? And Lita's obviously quite... Maybe to, to attack her is a bit more shocking, particularly from an Austin point of view, less from Triple H. But as you say, without actually, why are you doing this, guys? You know, Triple H as well. What's what's happening here? Well, what's what's? It's just been so. It's almost a bit WCW esque, isn't it? There, I say the way they've probably gone about this, where it's you've got your biggest your biggest star probably they've ever had, pretty much. I know you can chuck in Hogan there, but in terms of modern times, going out there doing stuff that. It really doesn't make a lot of sense, and there's no. Where's it go next? Well, have I know there is a there is where it goes next, again, which makes a bit more sense in terms of you know who they end up going up against in terms of you know name and and more of a threat. But this was just just a bit of cannon fodder, just to get hopefully get a reaction. A bit like when the um, I'm trying to think when there's some more like female bashing going on in other, you know, to get that shock value of, oh, he's, he's, that, he's that much of a, you know, he's gone, he's, he's lost his mind, he's, he's gone crazy. But it just wasn't that. And the crowd obviously just thought, well, you know, <laughs> another episode of, of SmackDown. So, yeah, I think it's just, it, it's a good pivot at the end of the month. And obviously we're going we're gonna to talk about that. It does make a bit more sense. But this really didn't do it, didn't do it for me either. We simply weren't depressed enough. Before we get to the pay-per-view, and we will be returning to the main topic at the end of that show, Joy of Joyce. Let's have a talk about the intercontinental title situation, shall we? Oh, yes. So, on the first SmackDown after WrestleMania, best buddy Triple H got a clean pinfall win over, get this, Chris Jericho. Because it's only been about, I've lost count of how many that is now in the last 18 months. What's one war between friends, eh? So Triple H became the Intercontinental Champion. And I appreciate there are probably people listening to us for the very first time. But already, even if you are, you probably know my thoughts on that particular booking decision. However, however, none other than Jeff Hardy defeated Triple H for the Intercontinental title the next week. Okay, he needed Matt's help to do so. Triple H all but kicked out at 3.1. He was up on his feet just five seconds later, and all the commentary team could talk about before we went off the air, the 15 seconds from the bell before we went off the air, was how Jeff Hardy was going to be killed the next week on Raw. And lo and behold, that happened. This Triple H won back the Intercontinental title. Okay, the camera actually missed the final pinfall, but sadly, this one did happen, unlike a certain title change 12 months before. Pete, I'm all for elevating the IC title because I do think it needs it. It's been in intensive care, really, for the last three or four years, with a couple of exceptions. So upping the Intercontinental title's importance needs to happen. 100%. And they are saying that that was part of the reason for doing these quickie changes. But leaving aside Triple H being Triple H, do you really need to put it on an established singles multi-time WWF champion, whatever you may or not think of him, to supposedly raise the Intercontinental title's profile? If you want to test the water for a Jeff Hardy singles push, I still think we're about a year, possibly two, from that really meaning something. But coming out of WrestleMania, you can afford to try a couple of things. That's okay. But why not have him in a 
15-minute face-v-face match with Jericho. Nice handshake at the end. Bit of mini anointment. And let Jeff run with that for a couple of months rather than doing this. Aside from the obvious, of course. Exactly what I was going to say. That Why can't Jeff just be that that up-and-coming singles. A bit like Bret Hart when he was in the Hart Foundation and then started his singles run. But it took a long time to get him to the IC title and his his run, you know, from way back with the Hart Foundation. And, and then Bret, then off he went, didn't he? And, and it worked so well. So, as you say, having Jeff 15-minute absolute storming match with, with Jericho, Jericho retains, elevates the title because it's a great match. And then... You elevate the title by having great matches on your programs. It's one way of elevating the IC title with different people. The only reason Triple H obviously uh, won this was to um, help this this main event at Backlash sell a bit more that everything's on the line, isn't it? That, that's kind of where where that kind of came from. And obviously, then, then the Hardys get double screwed in the end, don't they? Because it all it all gets a bit messy. So. I just think the IC title doesn't need Triple H. Surely he must feel it's even a little bit beneath himself to be the IC title holder. It's just a, it means nothing to him. You know, he's a, as you say, a multi-time world world champion. He's gonna be a world champion again. You know, his idol's Ric Flair. You know, it's just, I think there were there were much better and far easier ways to to do what they were going to do. And the IC titles just, I think, lost in the shuffle of it all. Okay, it might be some good TV when Jeff won it as the as the upset win. Would have been nice for him to keep it, maybe, and just have a little run with it. And then maybe it goes back to Jericho or somebody else of that ilk, or a, a Benoit, or I don't know, maybe a Kurt Angle. But to then go back to Triple H, so he could get his win back almost. What a, a bit of a waste. And, and and Jeff probably enjoyed the the rub of it all and the main event sort of side of it. But what's what's come out of it is pretty much nothing now because Triple H is back with it. And it's just an excuse to have more gold round round his waist, I suppose. But no, I think the IC title is is no better off for what's happened in any way, shape, or form. Jeff didn't even get a chance to celebrate when Triple H defeated Jericho. Just one more, eh? He got the full three minutes after the pinfall to parade around with the IC title up to the end of SmackDown. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Bob, this is not how you do it, is it? No, it accomplishes nothing. Um... I agree. I I wouldn't have Triple H the Intercontinental Champion. He doesn't need it. I mean, I can see their logic behind it because, uh, you know, Triple H is obviously a main event guy, but he's not going to go for the world title because his good old pal that he tried to murder uh, by hiring Rikishi to hit him with a car is the world champion. So he's not going to challenge him for the title, I would imagine, not yet at least. Um, But, uh, yeah, I don't think he needs the championship and Jeff Hardy winning it. Guess what that does for Jeff Hardy in terms of accomplishing anything? Absolutely nothing. He's not elevated from it. And when I'm, I mean, as you guys were talking, I was just trying to think of, you know, you know, when triple H eventually loses it, who is a realistic person to beat him? Is the title elevated? Let's say, um, let's say, you know, Chris Jericho were to regain it. Uh, that might elevate him, but you know, let's say if Jeff Hardy had kept it and then he rustles a guy like Chris Jericho and he retains it. I don't really know if doing that is going to elevate it because in my mind, Jeff Hardy is a tag team wrestler. The Hardy boys are a unit. He's not 
at that moment. So like Rory, I believe you said it, Jeff Hardy's probably two or three years away from really breaking out and crushing Matt Hardy's dreams for uh, not being able to carry him anymore in terms of popularity. So um, I don't know. I think the IC title has been lost for a while because once you stopped, you know, whoever the Intercontinental Champion was from being elevated into world title, and I'm talking like porn star Val Venus, you know, 98 or 99 when he was champion. Like he was never elevated up to that, uh, nor should he, I guess. But Ken Shamrock even, like he wasn't really elevated into that that area. So when you kind of stop doing that, people are, are just going to become accustomed to, oh, hey, the Intercontinental Champion is just a really good mid-card, upper mid-card guy. So that's kind of how the title for me has been presented. Um, but I think Triple H being the champion is kind of just the WWF telling you that we don't really have a focus for it. So we're just going to put it on the sidekick that way. It's just always kind of there. It's, it's pretty much used as a prop. I think as long as those guys have the, the titles um, aside from the world title, it's just, they're just going to be seen as props on television for the most part. Yeah, There is a huge difference between losing to somebody and putting them over. Right. When Kevin Nash slipped over in the ring and Rey Mysterio managed to sit on his chest for three seconds a couple of years ago, Rey Mysterio won, but Kevin Nash didn't put him over. Mm-hmm. He just laughed it off, and we all know what happened again a couple of weeks later. Apple not falling too far from the tree and all that. Triple H here gets what is presented virtually as a fluke defeat, and he wins it back four days later anyway. No harm done. Not for him anyway. Doesn't help Triple H. <laughs> Yeah, bothered, but doesn't help the Intercontinental title, and that I am bothered about. Always been a fan of the IC title. Many years ago, they were always the matches I looked forward to the most on cards, the workers' belt and all of that. I still think with the roster they've got, that could happen again, but this looks to me as though they're preparing for some sort of subtle slash outright burial of it. I can see the Intercontinental title, I don't know, even being abolished before too long, with probably Triple H retiring as champion. I really shouldn't give them ideas. Anyway, we haven't depressed ourselves again, again, again. Let's talk about the pay-per-view. Backlash 2001, emanating from Chicago, Illinois. Pete Kimber, run us through the results of our first pay-per-view coming out of WrestleMania. Indeed, uh, we have Jerry Lynn, was the pre-show, I think, wasn't Jerry Lynn defeated Crash Holly um, to win the light heavyweight championship? Um, and then we had X-Factor, so that's X-Pac, Just Incredible and Albert, defeated, oh God, the Dudley Boys, Bubba Ray, Devon and Spike. Uh, Rhino, the hardcore champion, defeated Raven to retain it. William Regal defeated Chris Jericho in a Duchess of Queensby rules match. That'd be a good one to go over. Um, Chris Benoit defeated Kurt Angle uh, in a 30-minute ultimate submission match by 4-3 to three in sudden death overtime. Uh, Shane McMahon defeated The Big Show in a last man standing match. Uh, Matt Hardy, who was the European champion, defeated Christian and Eddie Guerrero to retain the title. And Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H defeated the Brothers of Destruction, Kane and The Undertaker, who were WWF Tag Team Champions, to also win the WWF 
tag team championship. So they now have all the gold. Oh, hurt me. Bob, your opening thoughts on Backlash 2001. Well, uh, just looking at the card, or and I guess hearing it too, it, it doesn't sound too bad on paper coming off of WrestleMania, which was like, what, four weeks ago? Um, so it doesn't, it, it didn't come across on paper as being a, a bad show. And realistically, I think kind of, I mean, viewing it kind of as like a filler pay-per-view, I don't think it was all too disappointing, really. Pete, what have we got so far? Yeah, I quite, it was okay. I think obviously coming off the, you know, the biggest show, you know, they've had, it was going to be very, very difficult to follow that up. And there was enough here that was different, I think, compared to WrestleMania that, that piqued the interest. And I think when we go through it, there's enough on here to give us a decent show. I, I quite enjoyed it. It was, it was a, a good effort all around for me. With the run we've had on pay-per-view from the WWF, Royal Rumble, No Way Out, and WrestleMania 17, if they ever even come close to those heights again, they've done very well. There was definitely something in the water for the first quarter of this year, culminating in very possibly the greatest pay-per-view in our or anybody else's lifetime. Anything after that was going to be a come down. Um, yeah, Backlash 01. <laughs> it sounds like you two enjoyed it more than I did. I must be honest, maybe it's because I... I've had my expectations raised by what we've had over the last three months. Not that I was expecting WrestleMania 17 redux quality-wise, but I think this one had a lot of problems that could have been fixed. But we'll see as we go. I'm just looking at my notes now. I'd like to be more enthusiastic about some of these matches. I do hope that I'll explain as we go along why I was not. But hey, the next hour or so, maybe you guys can change my mind. If anybody can... You can. Very persuasive people. So let's get into it, shall we? So we start with a six-man tag team match, pitting all three Dudleys against X-Factor, who, of course, are the team of X-Pac, Albert, and the Rapplace Knacker, as we must call him. We get a great example of Chicago wit at the start with a dork factor sign. <laughs> and off we go with all six men brawling, complete with Spike driving his foot into Albert's solar plexus, then being press-slammed over the top. Justin takes the early offense, including some flash pins from Spike. And of course, we already have a We Want Tables chant. Patience, people, patience. But Dudley Dog is blocked by Albert, and he got launched out of it too. Sit out powerbomb by Justin scores a two, but then his own knackers meet the ring post. Thank you. Devon and X Pack are now in, and they share a fun exchange, including a very stiff spin kick. Stone me, do the crowds hate Mr. Walkman or what? Wow. Devon himself gets posted with the ref tied up as JR calls them the Wizards of the Wicked Wood. <laughs> Wanker. He calls them that <laughs> three times in this match, by the way. Bubba then breaks up a cover and we hit the chin lock. They don't have the pacing right in this one, I don't think. Devon tries to rectify that with some punches out of the corner but gets met with a Justin sidewalk slam. Very nice butterfly vertical suplex by Albert. Yes, you heard me. But Devon hits back with a double clothesline to pack and Justin. Hot tag to Bubba, and this stuff writes itself for the next 30 seconds. Albert misses a blocking splash and hits X-Pac, then Justin does a very familiar sell in the corner off an Irish whip. As a matter of fact, I know who taught him that one, as a matter of fact. What's up and table tees, but it is cut off, and then Bubba issues a corner charge. Albert doesn't, and nor does Justin with a spin kick, so X-Pac gets the cover and the pin himself. Well, of course he does. Revenge, though, is exacted by the Dudleys in the now usual manner. 
Bob, your thoughts on this tag team opener? Well, let me just first say that I am not a fan of them taking Just Incredible's ECW look away. Uh, for some reason, I just, I, I, his legs look like they're just pretzel sticks in those, uh, in those tights or whatever. Just really threw me for a loop there. And it kind of just makes him feel like another guy instead of being from ECW. So I'm assuming he's not going to be much of a uh, prevalent role here in the uh, WWF. Uh, for the most part, this was kind of just a standard six man. Uh, I got to give credit to the Chicago crowd. They're on fire tonight. Um, and it really doesn't surprise me because there's, uh, you know, the majority of the people in the match are ECW guys and Chicago is a, usually a pretty good area for, uh, for ECW. So I'm not really surprised that they start off with this in the crowd reaction from it. But for the most part, it was just a really average match. Uh, I don't mind them trying to get X Factor over as a group because, as you noted, I mean, the Deadly Boys just immediately get their heat back by attacking them anyway. So in the grand scheme of things, are fans even going to remember that X Factor won? Probably not. But uh, for the diehards like us, I guess it uh, it accomplished something. But I'm not really sure if X Factor is a as a unit is going to be of much interest considering that your main angle is two guys running the company and they could probably easily destroy the three men uh, of X factor. So this just seems like redundant stuff for the most part. Pete, what do we reckon? Yeah, I think Bob makes a great point about the Dudley boys. It doesn't really matter at this point, win or lose, because someone's going to go for a table at some point and the crowd will get their, will get their wish and everyone goes away. I suppose happy. Um, X Factor, uh, well, <laughs> they're not going to be around for for a hell of a long time, are they? They're, they're very un, very unpopular. There is a, I mean, Albert's got a little bit about him. I think he did enough in the match to show that there's something there for him in that kind of big man big man role. Poor poor Justin, bless him. Um, at least he was part of the finish. That's all I can say, I suppose. But the fact that the crowd were asking for tables after about what two or three minutes as usual. If they actually got the tables out, they'd be disqualified. I don't quite know what the crowd would just want to just end really early with people going through tables. Seems to be just what they want at all moments. But they were definitely into it, and Dudley Boys are massively over. Uh, Spike, I think, is just a, a bit of a bump machine. Loves to take all manner of different uh, ways through tables and, and big moves. So that was decent enough. I think it was about the right length, I suppose. It was just under, what, sort of 10 minutes, I think. So... And the crowd were there with them for most of it. So, yeah, I've got not too many complaints to start the show. Chris White and I have a bit of a back and forth going of how the WWF opened their B pay-per-views. Because invariably they do so with a tag team match. And we're sort of weighing up each month about how hot or not the matches are. The crowd were hotter than the action here, I must say. Make no mistake. And they just about managed to get their own overness matched by what we got in the ring. I'm trying to be kind of the, the gate clenching my teeth early on it's going to be a long hour everybody i'm very intrigued by the presentation of some of the people in this match spike hasn't been quite the broken toy that i thought he was going to be getting a little bit of shine here and there i don't like that they've taken the name of his excellent finisher and renamed it from the acid drop to the dudley dog oh 
WWF Ising. Oh, drives me crazy. And as for Just Incredible, Bob, well, what was Just Incredible's finisher in ECW? <laughs> well, I mean, his entire uh... – <laughs> Everything about him he stole from other people, but uh, yeah, the, the spinning tombstone, that's incredible. Good luck trying that in this environment is all I can say. I think he's already got the little tap on the shoulder and been told to, I don't know, finish with a clothesline or something. But the match was okay. Everybody looked relatively good in this one. Albert included, it must be said. Putting the heels over would normally annoy me, but it doesn't really matter here because the Dudleys... I think Spike is a very important addition to them at this point because I'd be a little concerned about them. They're perennially over. As long as they do the things they do at the end of matches, they're going to remain over. But they've been doing this for well over a year now. And for me, at least, and I appreciate I'm probably in the minority, the luster is starting to ebb away a little. I don't really think you can, or even should, in all fairness, repackage them or even change them much, even little, to be honest. But I do wonder how much longer this is going to continue. It's fine at the moment. It might well be for the next six months, a year. But just keeping them around as opening tag guys that will keep the crowd up after the first 10 minutes when they do what they do and they answer the request of the audience. Do they want a bit more than that now? Let's wait and see. But the match was fine. X-Pac got the cover and the pin himself. Again, that should piss me off, but we all expected it. But Bob, just a few seconds on this. The heat that X-Pac gets and has for the last year since he... It's pretty outrageous. About Austin wishes he could get this. Uh, yeah, I've, I've never understood it, really, to be honest. I mean, I don't... It's like go-away heat. Yeah. And he's one of the better workers, I'd say, Absolutely. still. So I don't know. I don't know what it is about him that people don't like. Maybe they were just, maybe fans really were offended that he betrayed Kane a year and a half ago. <laughs> that must be it, yeah. Okay. That has to be what it is. <laughs> that he, they probably were like, wow, this guy really, they were probably more affected by Xbox turning on Kane than they were that Steve Austin got ran down by Triple H. Well, by Rikishi through Triple H. So that's probably what it is. They are probably just really bitter about him uh, turning on Kane with uh, that no good Tory. I reckon it's it's the Bronco Buster, personally. Just a hateable, hateable move. More likely, I think. I think Pete probably wins this one. That's true. Bob Colling, enforcer of kayfabe, everybody. Yes, we're going to watch this X-Pac thing as we go because... There's more to it than just bog standard heel heat here. If anybody knows any dirt, leave let us know. But Adam Joyce knows. Let's leave it at that. Let's move on from our first match. We get to meet the Duchess of Queensbury, and the Rodneys are queuing up. Then we see Mr. Angle shine his medals, and we know him well enough to know that isn't a euphemism. Luckily, Benoit calls himself the best technical wrestler in the world today, but tonight Kurt will prove that to be a crock. After brief footage from Heat of Jerry Lynn, and yes, Pete, I did say Jerry Lynn. Sorry, defeating oh. Crash Holly for the light heavyweight title. We go to our hardcore title match. I say we talked about this earlier, Pete. You might not have too long to wait. <laughs> fingers crossed, the, fingers crossed. The big man himself will be on his way, I'm sure. So our next match for the hardcore title is Rhino versus Raven. I think the Fed missed the trick here by not appointing Dr. Doolittle as guest referee. 
Oh dear. Rhino Fair dives right. right into the thank you. Rhino <laughs> dives right ticket time. Rhino dives right into the stop sign, as you do, nearly gets pinned right off the bat. Not literally. I'm sure that will come. Trash can next, and there's another near fall. Big shoulder block in the corner by Rhino, and now he has the trash can. Big kick to the face with can involved, and a cover on the outside gets a two. He preps the steps and seats Raven down into the bargain, but the other bird man is able to move out of the way. A shot to the guardrail by Raven is then met by him hitting the post, and then Rhino hitting him with the trash can lid. A keep off sign will do for now. I'm not sure that really warranted a holy shit chant, but never mind. And there is a shopping cart to the face. JR annoys me further by saying 10 items or less. I think you mean 10 items or fewer. Clubbing blows by Raven and now a drop toe hold to the shopping trolley. See, no matter on what side of the Atlantic you are listening to this, I've got you covered. Vicious signs to the head by Raven and then a pretty good bulldog. Only a near fall there though. Trash can jab to the face, also can't quite get it done. And now Raven runs down Rhino with said supermarket receptacle. Dodging it this time. Rhino responds with another sign to the head, but nobody is staying down here. More trash can shots, and I think we get the idea now. He preps the gore, but Raven ducks, and as such, he goes headfirst right into and through the... I'm going to have to say it now. The shopping... Uh, uh, crawly. Ah, there you go. That can't offend anybody. Raven smacks him about a bit to no avail, and then a quick... Gaw! 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 Other people do it better than me. But that is enough for Big Terry to retain. I should say that most people watching actually missed that gore, your correspondent included, but that is what the rewind button is for. Peter. I quite enjoyed this. This was this was okay. And I think Raven, um, obviously in his previous incarnation, same character name, obviously ECW, this was right up his street. I think you'd love to have seen maybe Rhino and Raven when he was in his pomp uh, back in the day a little bit, do a kind of brawl around and this kind of hardcore match. It would have been probably a bit more violent, I'd imagine, than this particular uh, one. But uh, yeah, in terms of a hardcore title, I think this this is a great showcase for, for Rhino. I think he's been making some a big impression though thus far. The gore is massively over and Paul Heyman can be thanked for, for really putting that move over uh, massively for him. Uh, I like the, uh, the shopping <clears throat> uh, spots that were there, um, particularly when Raven started hitting with that sink through the shopping trolley, which we're led to believe would in somehow hurt Rhino, protected <laughs> by said shopping. <clears throat> um, that was quite funny. Um, I, I, I quite liked it from, from a hardcore. I've seen, we obviously have seen lots of incarnations of, of hardcore matches, and you might say it's a little bit ho-hum these days. But in terms of, of it, this was quite a, quite a decent one and, and quite a bit of fun for what it was. So, yeah, no, no complaints again from me. And Rhino is clearly someone who's there's something there definitely um i think maybe coming out of the hardcore title eventually would obviously benefit him more so and there are bigger things on the horizon but raven particularly after his performance at, at wrestlemania as well i think he's he showed himself back into back into some form as well so no it didn't wasn't let down for me i enjoyed it the man beast from detroit michigan no i can't quite get it right I was going to say, should Coco Beware been in there as well as the Birdman, uh, Roy? But I didn't, I didn't go there on the particular bit for you, just to ruin it even more. This is where I play Pile Driver underneath Bob's description of this match. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it as well. Um, I prefer this over probably anything that they've done for the last, I don't know, six or eight months or so. I, I enjoyed the Crash Holly run that he had um, last year. 
to an extent. Like, the comedy of it was um, enjoyable. But I, I thought this was probably the best hardcore match I've seen in quite a long time. Uh, the intensity of it all. I mean, Raven using the chair while Rhino was uh, stuck in the shopping cart. I thought was really good. So there was some very... I thought there was some really good intensity shown throughout here. Um, and they avoided kind of the, the comedy aspects of it that had been dominant in the hardcore division uh, prior to prior to this, or last maybe a couple of hardcore matches. Um, I just want to know, I think Rhino is already being underutilized in the uh, World Wrestling Federation. Uh, you know, all the other maybe ECW diehards. I mean, if you go back and watch his, his ECW stuff just from four or five months ago, I mean, this guy was at, he was the biggest heel in the company and was having some really good matches. And I mean, sure, he can't cuss. So maybe that kind of ruins a lot of his promos because he would just drop the F word every other word. But um, I think that Rhino needs to probably get out of the hardcore division sooner or later because I think, you know, in that intercontinental area, not as long as Triple H is champion, but you know, once it gets off of him at some point, I think Rhino would fit really well in that kind of area area of the card. Raven, I think, is always going to be a hardcore guy, so I don't really see him being elevated. But I'm hopeful that this victory here for Rhino is a sign of an elevation uh, leading into the summer because I think he could have a lot of fun undercard matches that aren't dependent on the hardcore title. Yeah, I think. They might have some plans for Rhino. I really do. His lack of mic skills, they're going to be a problem. But I think he can more than make up for that. And already looks as though they've broken him away from Edge and Christian to some degree that I think is sensible. As much as I love them, I think they were cramping his style. He just needs to be this no-nonsense marauder and hanging around with comedy characters as great as they are like them. Probably doesn't really help real-life friendship aside. This was a lot of fun, though. It really was. I feel like every two or three months I talk about the possible renaissance of the hardcore title, and it has gone through a few transformations. Now they've got the roster from ECW and other people who can mix it anyway, so they can also have it be somebody for badasses like Steve Blackman. They can have it for outright hardcore wrestlers like these two. They can even have other people drop down and wrestle for it if they wanted to. So they've got options with this. And for a belt that was really floundering, I didn't enjoy the Crash Holly stuff 24-7 anywhere nearly as much as many people did. It had the occasional moment, Gerald Briscoe winning it, and most importantly of all, best of all, Pat Patterson winning it from him and celebrating with the crotch chop. They are the exceptions, but there aren't many of them. But here, if you've got a hardcore title and you've got some hardcore specialists on your roster, then have them do this sort of stuff. I thought it was really well put together. I thought the timing was just right. I thought it was inventive as you can be in a plunder match. And the gore, gore, gore is really going somewhere. That's a video highlight package move. If they're not careful, he's going to end up getting really, really over with this. As retentive as it sounds that I'm going to say this, I kind of hope he doesn't because he probably isn't meant to. If he steps out of line, be it accidentally, by 
heaven forfend doing something that people like when he's just supposed to be a lower mid-card wrestler, then he's going to be punished still further. Well, I think it's been a good start for Rhino. Raven is fine. No more, but no less. And I could definitely use a bit more between these two. We get a repeat of Shane's story from last week's SmackDown. It wasn't that good. And then Austin and Deborah are here. He is not going to lose the WWF title tonight. All that needs to happen is that Triple H does his part. Do you see? They're just not going all in on it, are they? Everything Austin says could be construed as him breaking away from Triple H and embracing if you're going to do it. Oh, anyway, more on that later. You'll be pleased to hear. Next up, though, is our Duchess of Queensbury rules match between William Regal, of course, and the animated corpse that is the career of Spring 2001, Chris Jericho, poor lamb. Regal introduces the Duchess and they have a throne for her. But for God's sake, people, stop calling her your majesty. JR asks the following. How ironic it is that Jericho made his WWF debut in this very arena. I'll tell you, Jim. That's not ironic at all. It's a coincidence. Oh, Alanis. The Lionheart is not impressed with the Duchess. He does not know which one between her and Regal looks more like a man. And although we are here in the Windy City, she makes it the ugly city. I'm going to be that guy. Chris Jericho's not that funny. Heyman suggests we are not yet over the death of Princess Di <laughs> too soon. And mercifully, the match then begins cool, just in time. Jericho gets the early shine as they then trade some nice arm work. Y2J is more comfortable, though, with the chops and a knockdown off the ropes. Outside we go for a spot of punching and then some missile dropkick missing. Lovely suplex by Regal, followed by another couple of pin attempts. Regal shares a little wave and then some European uppercuts. Big kick to the face, then met with a stiff dropkick by Christopher and a cool runner off the top. Jericho back with some more knife edges and a strange one-arm clothesline. Bulldog by the Lionheart and then the Lion Salt is hit. And then the bell rings. Why was that? The Duchess explains via the think that the time limit for the first round had expired. Ah. Regal nearly pinches it with a roll-up, and I suppose we are now into round two. German suplex by Regal, but Jericho flips 180 on and lands right on his head. Oh, my. After a scrap, Regal gets on the stretch, and Gorilla would be pleased to see he has the fingers locked, but Jericho gets to the rope. Jackknife roll-up by the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller, and there is the walls to which Regal taps. And that is it. No, it's not, because under these rules, you cannot win by submission. Regal grabs the scepter, and the ref calls for the bell again. Oh, no, you don't. No DQ, in it. Jericho is able to kick out, but the crowd aren't into this fun and games anymore, so that kick out, they barely pop. Oh, dear. We return with some stops from Jericho, though, and as there is no submission, he can't do the walls of Jericho, but as there's no DQ, he can go right for the jewels. Regal then gets sent right into the Duchess, and you can guess where. Regal seems rather repelled by the smell, but then Miracle Grow does give off quite the whiff. Anyway, Jericho <laughs> sees off the hired goons and then puts the Duchess in the walls, but Regal is able to use the chair three times over for the sudden but entirely fair win. Peter, what did you think of this representation of British working class life? Oh, wow. Um, I did like the World of Sport rounds at the beginning. That was quite a nice uh, nice throwback to my days of watching it in 1985. When I was about... Exactly, yeah. All those big daddy memories. Anyway, um, yeah, I think this was... This was, I don't know, a bit of, a bit of fun. I don't quite know what this was really for. I mean, I do like Regal being obviously uh, a, a British person myself and an English 
Gem, I do love the character. I love everything about Regal in that sense. And I guess the Duchess was there just to to make it up as they, as they were going along, all in favour of Regal. I guess he is the the commissioner, so he has a little bit of sway in terms of of what can happen. But you know, poor Jericho. Every every corner was was never going to win this match. That that looked pretty much set in stone halfway through, and you know everything he did got got stopped or wasn't allowed to happen. Um, I think there was enough comedy in here. I just don't know if these two wanted this to be a comedy match because I think they had a pretty decent match at WrestleMania. A little bit Jericho sloppy at times, wasn't it? But this was a bit more solid. But with all the various, you know, different um, endings and false finishes, the crowd, I think, had lost lost interest because of what was happening. Um, I'm quite glad Regal won. From that point of view, totally biased opinion there. But I just think it's, you could see where this was heading. So you knew what was going to happen pretty much after that first bell rang with the end of the, the first round, inverted commas. So, uh, and it went on a little bit too long. There was enough funny spots in there. I quite like the Duchess and Regal's interactions were quite funny. But where that came from and whose idea this was, I don't, I don't quite know, but... Yeah, we, we, we're just that's probably the first little dip in the show for me. This particular particular match, Bob. We don't get to talk about Duchess of Queensbury matches every day, so knock yourself out on this one. Uh, I hated it. There, uh, there was nothing about this I enjoyed. It really brought me memories to uh, WCW New Blood Rising because if you'll remember, there, Mike Awesome beat Lance Storm about I don't know. 48 times and then he proceeded to lose because uh, uh, Pierre or uh, Jacques made up rules throughout the match. So that's pretty much exactly what we got here. Jericho won not 48 times, but he he won probably what a handful of times. And then they were just like, nah, we'll just, you know, give the, the cheap heel heat and make it. So it's pretty much impossible for you to win. And then, you know, uh, leading to Regal winning. Uh, as you maybe will recall, when Lance Storm won at New Blood Rising, what did that do for him? Nothing. It killed his momentum. This does nothing for William Regal. Yeah, great, he won. But again, he lost, technically, a hand, almost a handful of times in the match. And I'm willing to guarantee you that at the next pay-per-view, uh, Judgment Day, that Chris Jericho is probably going to have a more relevant role than William Regal will. So this does absolutely nothing. Now, if this match, you can have the Queen comedy aspect of it there, but why not just have William Regal beat Jericho cleanly or, or, or have her get involved in some way? That way you're avoiding all these different shenanigans to, I guess, protect Jericho, who really doesn't need protection at this point. Uh, and I agree with you, Rory. I don't find Jericho to be funny at all. I've almost, I feel like I've heard my dad say half the jokes that he said on television, uh, which is just cringy because my dad's not making probably $600,000 a year. So what is he doing wrong that Jericho is doing right to be saying those, those jokes on national television? I don't know. I ha- probably have to have a talk with him. But I did not like this segment at all. It does no one any favors uh, and it's kind of disappointing because I like William Regal. I think he should have a bigger role in it. And um, I I don't think him beating Jericho here cleanly or at least not as ridiculous 
uh, would hurt Jericho at all. I'm all for an elevation of William Regal, and uh, it's too bad that they, they just didn't pull the trigger here for it. Yeah, I don't think this proves anything either way. And you shouldn't be coming out of a pay-per-view with more questions than answers. I, When we got the six-minute match at WrestleMania, I thought for sure that meant we were going to get a 12, 15-minute straight-up one on the next pay-per-view, which Regal can win. He can win by shenanigans, put on the ropes, something like that. That's not a problem. But now Jericho wins semi-cleanly the next month. I'm fine with that. Regal gets a win. We really get to see what Jericho is made of in the ring because I know I'm in a field of few here, but I still have my reservations of Jericho as an in-ring worker. But but that's probably a discussion for another day. This was just too silly. We talk about the audience of one stuff, and I think that was very prevalent here with Regal going headfirst into a certain part of the Duchess anatomy and all of that. And the jokes were very much level one live near London, met the Queen sort of thing, which I'm sure Mr. Darren Matthews, William Regal, had very little say in. This was not a match that came from the mean streets of Blackpool. I had blank new blood rising completely from my mind, Bob, and that is despite, or maybe because, being the presenter of the new blood rising show on this very parish last year. I still wear the scars to everybody. I've never quite been the same again. (laughs) But both of you, you're both on my hit list now. Pete, you mentioned... This you is why Vince I'm here. Russo and Bob has mentioned you blood rising. I hope you're both happy with this. <laughs> this is why I'm here. I'm here to bring back the memories that you black out of your mind. Just talk about the Kane X Pac feud again, would you? <laughs> I will. That you know what? For me, that was devastating. Okay? I didn't mean it. <laughs> we'll do a special. I need, I, you know what? I need five hours. Just me and Bob on the show. We'll do that I one need day. to. I need to regroup. I need to probably leave right now because I'm gonna get really emotional. I did. I've never yeah. trusted anyone ever again after that. They're like, hey, you want to be my friend? And I was like, no. Because you're probably going to beat me up over it. You're. Gonna... I didn't talk for probably 14 months. And then I finally said a word. And then the guy turned on me. And I was like, wow, this is just like X Pac and Kane. You just know that Bob sent letters to Hulk Hogan before SummerSlam 1990, don't you? You just know he did. I did. That that earthquake, that earthquake, okay, <laughs> is a natural disaster. I didn't think he was ever coming back. Okay, more than enough. Save it for the special shows, Bob. And that yeah, was three got... months after Big Boss Man like almost killed him. I didn't, I didn't trust a police He's officer off. for years. Don't <laughs> moving swiftly on from there. I think. <laughs> Probably just as well we do that. Backstage, we have Vince and Big Show. Oh, that'll calm things down. The big fella is not going to go easy on Shane. And I'm sure Mr. White won't either. See what I did there. Right, now you've got a chance for reflection, fellas. Look at my notes for this one. Oh, my. 30-minute Iron Man submission match between Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. <laughs> Off we go. Collar and elbow grapple to begin with, and into the corner we go. Angle goes for the knee, but they scrap over a shared takedown to no avail on either side. Angle tries again, and he gets it this time. Ankle lock attempt, but Benoit rolls it into the ropes. Angle sneaks in a quick choke. Back up again, and what we are getting here is just anathema to what we normally see in this promotion. Crossface attempt, but now Angle is in the ropes and takes a breather at the three-minute mark. Waist lock takedown by Angle, but again, we break in the ropes. I get what they're going for here, but how many casual viewers do? Maybe they will now with this crossface from Benoit. Nope, to the ropes again. Waist lock takedown and both men fall outside the ring, and the crossface goes on, but the tap-out doesn't count there. 
Angle grabs a chair, but he won't go far with that here. He takes a sweet time going back in and gets off a cheap shot. Take down to the knee bar, and there is the first tap out. Angle goes up 1-0. Heyman plays it up as Benoit smartly tapping out quickly to save himself some time in recovery. Hard chops by Benoit, but then a chop block by Angle. He tries again, but this time is caught in the crossface. And a lovely takeover to a cross arm breaker. And that is going to tie it up at one all. Angle, shoulder first of the ring post, but an overhand wrist lock takedown. Arm breaker on again, but this time Kurt flexes out of it. Very nice. Shoulder breaker by Benoit, and then more shoulder work as we are one third of the way through this one. Ref gets shoved down, so Angle can use the chair after all. Ankle lock in the middle of the ring, and another very quick tap out. 2-1 to your Olympic hero. After the rest period, Angle puts his own crossface on, and Benoit taps right away. Well, that's one way to get your move over. 3-1 Angle. Four falls in the first 12 minutes, that is. Wow. Angle slows the pace way down for a while after that. Lots of stomps, leavened with the odd suplex, and a shot to the announce table, and whip to the steps. Halfway point reached, and Kurt still leads 3-1. Ankle luck on the outside means zip, but it does eat up a few more seconds. Benoit manages to fend off another cross-arm breaker, or two, with some marvellous bridging. Nobody seems to be buying what they're selling here at this point, though. The shades of Wilbur Schneider, and this time it's JR who calls it that, not me, by Kurt. Double counter with a hip toss by both men. Fantastic. And another arm breaker attempt ends up, yep, you guessed it, in the ropes. Benoit now with a sharpshooter. And it's actually good. I know, right? Angle reaches the rope, though. Mm -hmm. Jackknife roll up into a contortionist's half crab. Angle folded up like the proverbial accordion, has no choice but to tap. 3-2 he leads now. Was that just a consolation for Benoit? Angle now winds down the clock with plenty of stalling, but Benoit isn't having that. Ten minutes to go. Angle is content to just block off the ring at this point. Stiff suplex on the outside, but then stiffer still chops by the Wolverine. Not long left now, but he gets on a leg lace, and then the ankle lock, but again Angle reaches the ropes. Benoit misses a drop kick, and what is that by Angle? Whatever it is, he should not do it. No, sorry. Whatever it was, he should do it again in the future. I didn't even write down what move it was. That's how good it was. For now, though, he settles for a chin lock on the mat, and here it makes sense with five minutes to go. And now four minutes to go. Jaw breaker by Benoit to cause some separation, but he can't capitalise. Huge belly-to-belly -belly overhead by Kurt is followed by another. But look, here is a German suplex by Benoit, followed by another. But you knew that. They roll through some quick-fire attempts at submission until Benoit manages to grab the ankle. And angle has to tap. It's 3-3 with 90 seconds left. Benoit wants to set up the knee once more, but angle low blows instead. And now he can get on the ankle lock but to the ropes he goes. Yet he gets pulled away from them, and that's allowed. Okay. Suplex into the ankle lock with 10 seconds left. Benoit taps, but after the bell. There you go, everybody. There's your usual dramatic finish in an Ironman match. This time, the referee demands, demands, I tell you, but the match continue under sudden death rules. Hard stomps by angle to the ankle and knee, and another amazing belly-to-belly. He rides out some Angle sucks chance, but gets driven into the corner. Benoit with a roll through, but Angle stops it with a guillotine. Benoit, though, kicks off the ropes into the cross face in the middle of the ring. And there it is. Benoit wins in overtime 4-3. Both men are completely spent, but Didham's not as much as I am. Pete, I'm Officer Bernard. <laughs> Talk for as long as you wish about this one. Well, first, round of applause, Roy. That was uh, an impressive... Uh... 
recount of the 30 minutes or 31 minutes of that match. I don't know if I'm being a bit controversial, but I'm not a massive fan of Iron Man matches, whether they be 60 minute, 30 minute. Anyway, chuck in that submissions only. For me, this is my own, my own personal kind of opinion. Obviously, these two are, are fantastic, great wrestlers. Technically, you know, probably the best there probably is out there right now. And that's high praise, the fact that, you know, obviously Kurt Angles, although he's an, obviously a Olympic athlete and amateur uh, wrestler in terms of WWF style, is, is awesome with Chris Benoit. But it just didn't, I don't know if it's the time, it was too long, the last sort of, I say five minutes of Benoit chasing the the leveler was really good, and and then the the overtime I think was probably necessary. We had to have a winner. I think to leave it as a draw would have been a pretty pretty sad state of affairs. But uh, there was enough here to keep people just about interested. I'm glad there was quite a lot of submissions because sometimes we go back to Brett and Sean with 60 minutes of you know nothing basically in terms of of, of pinfalls or whatever was going on there. At least there was quite a bit happening in terms of the 30 minutes, but it's just not really my kind of match. Um, That's my own personal opinion, although I can't fault, you know, the effort and the the different ways they were trying to get submissions outside of the cross face and the angle lock. I felt that was a really nice touch they were using, you know, the the arm bars and uh, the sharpshooters and lion tamers and whatever they were trying to get out of it. So I, I gave them a lot of credit for that, but just wasn't really my kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of uh, Iron Man matches either. I think largely because, you know, with this being 30 minutes, I I don't have to be invested in it until like the last five or you know three to five minutes or so. So everything leading into it, it's, it doesn't really matter. And submission wise, going into into it, you know it's going to be very technical and very mat based. And personally, I find that style kind of boring. Uh, I'm not going to say this match is boring. I think it's a good match, but I went into it hoping for like an all-time classic. I don't think it reached that level uh, at all. It's just, you know, like a basically like a basic good match. Uh, One thing I, I really thought was weird is, I mean, Benoit in terms of national television um, has been almost like a weekly figure since, you know, Nitro started. And I don't know how many times I could count <clears throat> that he's actually he's actually submitted. I know, I think he submitted to Brett twice. But outside of that, I, I don't really remember. And then in this match alone, he, he like doubled it. And that is a, just a weird booking decision for the Benoit character because I've been programmed to think that Benoit would never submit. And I'm sure there's some strategy involved. I mean, he submitted pretty quickly into the match. But it's just like a little shocking. Like maybe there's like a, there's just, there's some damage to his armor that maybe he's not uh, as immune to submissions as previously thought. But as, as an overall match, I think that the constant submissions certainly helps in terms of keeping you invested because if this had gone a half hour with only one submission, I probably would have been bored to tears. There's, I need something actively going on, uh, you know, back to like, um, judgment day, 2000 with rock in, in triple H. I liked that there was like 12, like 12 finishes or, you know, 12 falls or something. It, 
that kind of needs to happen to kind of keep the intrigue and stuff. And really, this is just a basic story with the uh, the sudden death type of stuff. Like I saw that coming a mile away. That didn't surprise me at all. But uh, I don't think this met my expectations. But it that was probably unrealistic. But I think it was still a a good match overall. See, the last thing I want to do is bag on great wrestling from great wrestlers. Because heaven knows we have very few opportunities to talk about that in the WWF at the very best of times. I don't want to be unnecessarily critical about this match, especially as during our WrestleMania review, and they teased us with the 14 minutes we got there, all saying that maybe at the next pay-per-view we're going to get 25 minutes from these guys and they're going to break the star rating system. Here they got over 30 minutes, and I was left rather cold by it, through very little fault of their own. If you were to go into a WWF creative meeting, you were to sit down in front of Vince McMahon, and you were to utter words to him like cross-arm breaker or overhand wrist lock takedown, he would look at you as if you had just sneezed, nodded, and smoked all at the same time. This is not... Vince's game and audiences have been conditioned to just be repelled by this sort of thing in the WWF harsh fact wish it wasn't true and even in a smart town like Chicago they lost interest in this pretty quickly we are very used to when somebody reaches for the ropes it happens once in a match and it's all in the drama you're the desperate sell the final crawl the last 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 lunge the reach for the ropes and the huge pop that's the story of it here they ended up in the ropes on about 15 occasions using it as a tactic to try to stay ahead of their opponents in an effective sporting contest and despite what your average monday morning quarterback or uk equivalent would really have you believe tactics are boring nobody really cares about tactics when they sit down to watch a sporting event so this required a lot of your average wwf viewer coupled with four falls in the first 12 minutes eight in 31 if these people are supposed to be submission specialists should they be giving up that quickly and Heyman did his best on commentary to make it look like, yes, Benoit's going to tap as soon as he can because he does, doesn't want to waste any time or get any more injured. I get that. That's great. Really, really incisive, specific stuff. But this is the WWF where it's very broad brushstrokes. I applaud them for trying to tell such an intricate story. And this is the closest I can think of a WWF match reflecting a genuine sporting event, probably since the Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12. But they overshot themselves here. Wrong place, wrong time. Maybe about 12 months down the line, when audiences are a little more attuned to this sort of thing, Maybe you can go ahead and do this. Plus the fact, and you both touched on it, Iron Man matches don't really mean zip until the last 30 seconds anyway. And Iron Man matches are supposed to represent sport with a final score, but you know it's always going to end in either a pinfall or submission 
only submission in this case in the very last second, or it's going to end in somebody avoiding one in the very last second. Nobody's going to win an Ironman match 5-2 or 6-1 or be 4-0 up with 10 minutes to go. Somebody gets a late consolation and then they just play out the last six minutes. That's never going to happen. So that's the problem with Ironman matches in pro wrestling in general, because you've got to have that girl on the railway tracks finish. You can't avoid that. I wish you could. But then you've got the worlds of sports and entertainment colliding very, very nastily. And as much as I am on the sports side of that divide, always have been, always will be, you can't have it 100% zero. So much of the wrestling in this match was great. Of course it was. But we're not ready for it yet. I hope that day will come and that it will be in this promotion. But, you know... Leopard's spots is all I'm going to say. And it's a real shame, but we are where we are. So, entertainment it is. Big Show versus Shane, last man standing. The rematch they all wanted. Shane has some new music, by the way. Opening line, here comes the money. From the bell, he manages to give Show the slip and slides in with some early kendo stick shots. He tries a super one off the guardrail, but is caught with a clothesline. Quick trade of shots with Shane getting the advantage by virtue of six or seven chair blasts. Show is then up at six or seven. Shane puts on a face covering. Who does that in a public place? Apparently, it is so he is inured from the surgical fluid he is applying to Big Show. I think he might be out. Oh, no. Here comes Vinny with a chair shot to his own son. Or two. Both men are now down. Show comes through first and he picks up Shane. That's not very wise. Sidewalk slam. But this isn't ending yet. Everyone knows it's not. Huge throw by the Giant and then the final cut. Once more, he picks up Shane at eight. And now it is time for the choke slam. And after eight, this time, a submission backbreaker for some reason, which makes about as much sense as test running in. And yes, I know they had an altercation on SmackDown last week, but don't pretend you remember that. Much least want to. They brawl up the ramp and then test uses a keep out sign to hit him with. It's been done. And now Shane waddles over to them. He gets his own swipe in, but Show now has a pole, so Shane needs to scarper, which he does upwards. And you know how this one ends up now. And if it sounds like the novelty has worn off for me, then, well, it has. Just watch it. That's what they want you to do. They showed 50 replays of it for the remainder of the night. And Shane wins the match, by the way, after test, I don't know, props him up with a boom camera or some shit. I'm not bothered. Bob? All respect to Shane and that, but I'm really done with this now. Uh, yeah, no kidding. This it's the it's a one mat it's a one move match. Everything leading into his dive off of the uh, entrance there pretty much meant nothing, and really the dive meant nothing because of the camera shot they chose. You didn't even see him do it, and then after the as you mentioned, fifty replays. The one replay that you finally see, he doesn't even come close to hitting Big Show. And then you also can see the clear crash pad. Now, I don't think that, uh, you know, I wa- do I want him to go and land on concrete like he's New Jack? No, I do not. That does not need to happen. But let's try to avoid the crash pad part, at least a little bit. Kind of takes, uh, takes the moment away, and it also takes away... That he made absolute, pretty much. I, th- I don't even know if he made any contact with the Big Show. To be quite honest with you, miscontrol. Um, yeah, so exactly. So he just, I guess, big. The wind, the wind must have really just knocked uh, Big Show out uh, from that from that ele- that apparent um, 
contact. And I, and my last thing here is I'm assuming that whenever they have no plans for Big Show, they're just like, well, we'll just throw him with Shane. That just seems to be their go-to move for Big Show. Like, there's no clear direction. So, hey, we'll just kind of pair you up with uh, Shane and we'll do a silly uh, jump and uh, we'll get through it. But, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm over the whole, hey, look at Shane jump off high things and crash down onto people or try to. I'm, I didn't really care for it. Pete, was it all about the, uh, the gymnastics for you, if you really want to call them that? <laughs> so back to back, you've got um, an Ironman match and a last man standing match, two matches that I really just do not care for. So I was always on to a bit of a, a, down, a downward start. And You're for me, company. yeah, and for me, Shane, you, you look at it, you know, the big show, whatever, seven foot, dare I say 400 pounds, we'll say 350, 400 should he should he even be struggling or even be i know this is this is entertainment and you know whatever else but the ego that shane has to be able to eventually pick up the win over the big show just it just suspends it all and really surely what he should have done having worked on that move where the, the trash can across the ring you know that that jumping spot he did at wrestlemania which everyone was like you know wow that's pretty impressive that should have been where he, he went to again probably to try and keep the big show doing repetitive amounts of them um just to knock the big show down and out probably you know in, into a you know concussion and and out but to have him do this you know you knew where it was going and as you say that we, we missed the initial landing and then they kept surely someone must have seen what it looked like on the repeat play you mentioned 50 times where I think a shard of wood may have just touched a big show on his chest or near his shoulder. And that meant that he couldn't move and he couldn't move, could he? Because once that move has taken place, he's got to sell that Shane's just jumped 20 foot or whatever it was, probably a bit higher, whatever it was on top of him. And then I don't know. It just, it was just rubbish. And I don't know. Was it, it, was it necessary? I don't know. I just think Shane and, the whole McMahon thing, it's just, I don't don't get it. And I think Shane just needed to have really gone back to where he left off at WrestleMania because that was, the crowd were really into that and, and that, that end and how, and that move that I think he's been been practising and he's got off 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 quite well now. Um, we didn't see any of that. We just saw the usual kind of trying to overpower, you know, this huge giant that really should just beat the absolute living crap out of him for, for five, ten minutes and really should win this match. But of course, Shane's got to go do something that, that defies everybody and it didn't land it. But if he had landed it, Jesus, the big show would have been in a whole load of trouble. So I'm not quite sure what they were aiming for here. Either Shane kills himself and hurts hurts his arm or his back or he absolutely destroys like the big show's sternum or something. I don't know, but rubbish. Yeah, move on. All I'm going to say about this one, reprise my comments from our SummerSlam show last year. That one had a TLC match on it, so look what Shane does. This one is Backlash 2001, a month after TLC 2, but look what Shane does. Let's move on to our penultimate match for the European title. Matt Hardy defending against Christian and Eddie Guerrero. They race through this one, so so shall we. Eddie and Christian team up from the off, as you would expect. They hold Matt out of the ring, but the team don't last long. 
Christian does the jumping. Nice power slam for the first near fall. Then Eddie gets off his glorious Rana. That is inch perfect. You could cut through bank bots with it. Eddie catches Hardy with a brain buster. Two count for Latino Heat. Backdrop by Matt and there goes the shirt. Eddie tries a Rana again, but this time Christian grabs him to prevent it happening. Double clothesline by Matt and then a slam to Eddie and up he goes. They are moving at quite the clip here. Yodeling leg drop, can't get a three count. Matt takes a break in the aisle, but then gets met by Edge and his running hug of the... Sorry, his spear. Always get those two mixed up. Eddie then comes very close to stealing a win. Jeff Hardy in now to get some of Edge. And never confusion, Christian hits the unprettier. But then Jeff is able to race around and hit Christian with the swanton. Matt now with the twist of fate, and that'll be a one, two, three, and Matt retaining the European title. Pete, let's make this one quick. Uh, loved Edge's right said Fred T-shirt. That made that made me. Uh, <laughs> you can go and look it up if you want to. Anybody? Um, yeah, I think rushed it. This was clearly just inserted in, in the lack of the IC title match. I'm guessing is why this was yeah, put where definitely. it was clearly. A uh, bit of a shame because these three guys could have could have used trimmed a bit off other bits to have another five minutes potentially. I think there's enough out there, enough going on. Very rushed. Um, I quite like the fact that Matt retained. I think after Jeff obviously having all that go on to him, uh, it's good that he got a chance to retain. Because again, they're all tag team. What well, Eddie Guerrero? Probably thinking, Jesus, I'm not even a tag team. Why haven't I got a singles title? But. I think he's probably the most hard done by out of all of the, the people there. But yeah, rushed it, but quite quite good, energetic, lots of good stuff in there as expected. But clearly just a bit of a, a match to fill that void before we get to the main event, I think. And in the absence again of the IC title. Bob, a TV match, but a fun enough one. Uh, yeah, it's just your cooler uh, filler match. Uh, and I thought they actually worked fairly decently with it. Uh, it actually kept my interest. So I actually have no problem with it, and I thought it was solid for what it was intended to be. I watched this show with my wife, and when the fired up, she said, hey, Jeff Hardy, and I came, Matt. 30 seconds later, you think you know me. You think you know me. Yeah, Edge, and it's Christian. Then she turned to me and said, this match is like a disappointing B-side. There you are. She had no opinion whatsoever on Latino Heat, by the way. I should say for new listeners, my wife is very much a fan of Jeff Hardy and very, very, very much a fan, much to my chagrin, of Edge. What chance have I got? I know my place on this one. Yeah, this match was fun. They belted through it, felt even shorter than it was at about eight minutes, and that's praise to them. I really do fear for Eddie being just filler in a triple threat match between two tag team wrestlers, but you wouldn't have known that from his performance here, his usual stellar effort. Edge needs to drop the spear. We talked about the gore, gore, gore earlier. It really is a running hug of doom by comparison. He's got enough good moves in his arsenal, just have one of those. Matt winning or retaining the European title does feel like a bit of a sop after the Jeff Hardy Farago. I'm not sure it really makes up for it, but again, Will it be Matt getting the singles push first off after all? Watch this space, I think. So let's get to our main event. And boy, have we got some stories to tell about this one. It was Triple H and Austin, the two-man power trip, intercontinental title and world title. And yes, I mentioned Triple H first, because of course I did, versus Undertaker and Kane, the tag team champions. So the original plan for the main event for Backlash involved one Shawn Michaels. But on the Raw and SmackDown before WrestleMania, he made, as we say, 
a bit of an arse of himself, turned up in the much vaunted no condition to perform, got into many arguments backstage, and on both occasions, even with the leeway he gets, he was told to leave. He has gone on the record as saying that Triple H did not go to bat for him and sided with management. I'll leave you all just to add your own punchline to that one. Done? Okay, good. And it looks like their friendship could be over. As for Triple H, <laughs> force habit. As for HBK's role in the WWF going forward, well, I think I've just explained what that's going to be. Doesn't look like we're going to be seeing the heartbreak kid anytime soon. He needs to sort himself out. So they then, and this was quite clever on their part, they managed to tie this in with another storyline we've got going on where Linda McMahon wants a divorce from Vince McMahon, turning the tables on him and all of that. And one of the early requirements of the first divorce papers is that she gets to make matches when she does or wants to. So as such, Undertaker and Kane here could put their tag team titles on the line against Triple H and Austin, but also the world title and coveted intercontinental title were also up for grabs too. Guys, we've done this before, but we're going to do it again. Quiz question. Buzzing, when was the last time that all three titles were on the line in a WWF pay-per-view main event? <laughs> oh, boys, you're letting me down. I'm, I'm usually good I, at quizzes as well. I wasn't ready for a trivia contest today. Bob, you know you know your skills here. Come on. Uh, all three titles on the line. I got the Sapphire question right about a year ago. So I'm, I'm yes, you, hanging, I'm, yeah. I'm still hanging myself on that. Still, still dining out on that. Yeah, that's all I've got. <laughs> man, oh man. Um, Jesus, I I have no idea. I'm going to guess. Is it, is it Rock and Foley were tag team champions? Oh no. No, I think you'll find it was in your house three. Wow, my God, I should have known that. Yeah, that's right in your wheelhouse, as they say, Bob. Oh, my Lord. Okay, well, that's embarrassing. <laughs> How did I not know that? So next, Okay, Bob, next time you're on, there are going to be trivia questions, okay? Are you happy <laughs> okay, now? Okay, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for I'm letting not, me I'm know not, now. I'm not going to tell you ahead of time what they are. That would be, no, of course that would be the funny mess. Yeah. Let's get to this wonderful match review, shall we? All three titles are indeed on the line. And if Triple H gets pinned, he loses the IC title. Ah, oh, dear. Austin tries to throw his shirt into the ring, but it bounces back off the ropes. I think that's going to be an omen. Bell rings and off we go. No, no, I said off we go. No, I didn't say stall. Hmm, I wonder who wrote in that bit. Triple H gets biffed on the nose. I think it was by the entranceway at the time. I know, sorry, cheap shot, cheap shot. I'm allowed. I'm allowed. The heels tease an early count out, but the tag champs run after them and pair off. Taker Austin, Triple H Kane. The latter are now in the ring, and Triple H takes a very delicate chunk bomb, and so too does Austin. Big punches in the corner by Kane, but he gets caught with a running knee, and you can do that by pressing back, down, and A on WWF Attitude. Triple H wrenches Kane's bad arm and then tags in Stone Cold. Kane tags out, and Austin does some begging off. Again, he does it well, but they haven't earned that behavior from him yet. Anyway, Taker stomps away on him, and then the strikes to which we have come to expect, and then four Irish whips. Stone Cold offers a handshake, BTA Steve. Taker tags Kane and takes Steve down with a clothesline, so he is back out quickly. Triple H gets taken down with haste. Well, I say haste, but let's face it, the funeral of President Tito moved faster than this match. One for the teenagers there. And a boot to the face. Old school time for Hunter, and the crowd liked that one more than I did. 
Austin then gets the same treatment. The heels stumble towards the exit again, but now Kane stops them. Taker with a last ride attempt, but Helmsley blocks that. And now the power trip can team up. My notes become rather sparse at this point because there's nothing to really report. The heels dominate, but they haven't yet worked out a way to make that either interesting or threatening. That is extremely concerning. Anyway, Taker doesn't want to make a tag, and now I refer the honourable gentleman to the answer I gave some moments ago. Zed, 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 I've written down. Maybe a double chokeslam will help. Nope, that is blocked off. Mark, just make a tag, and this time he does. Big boots to Stone Cold and Triple H. Sidewalk slam to Austin, and now a diving clothesline. Another chokeslam attempt is spoiled, and I am flagging big time here, as if you needed to be told. Divorce caught to the bad arm by the rattlesnake, and the power tripper on top again. Oh dear, read any good books lately? Yeah, I think I might try How to Disappear Completely and Never Be Found by Doug Richmond. <laughs> Chair shot to the bad arm by Austin and wrenching a bit by Triple H, but where is this psychology going? Other than down the tubes, of course. Brim shot. Kane finally managed to get back into this just in time for my grandchildren's graduation ceremony. He sends Triple H over the top rope. Kane wants a tag, but Hunter pulls Taker off the apron. Austin seizes the moment, and is this match really still a thing? Sign in the crowd reads the following. Austin equals worst heel ever. Hold that thought, my friend. Sleeper by Austin. Maybe he's got a point. And now Triple H in. And there's the pedigree, but no cover. Damn you. He lets Austin do that for some reason. And then Taker blocks it off. If I cared right now, I'd say that was a very odd sequence. But I don't. Steph gets shoved off the apron. And in the confusion, Kane nearly gets the pin on Austin. Enziguri to Triple H, but Helmsley lands right on the referee. Taker in, and he sorted out all by himself. And now the last ride for Triple H. There it is. No pin, though, as he is not the legal man. Oh, spare me. Austin in with a stunner to Kane, but Taker knocks him over the railing. Steph gives Triple H the belt, but Kane blocks that off. Chokeslam. Steph is here again, and now she pays with a kick right in the face. Vince, naturally, is now in with a sledgehammer. Kane goes to chokeslam him, though. Mr. McMahon with a sledgehammer. Wait a minute. I'm on the elbow. The sledgehammer. Mr. McMahon was going for the ride, but the game's got the sledgehammer. And right hand. Oh, my God. McMahon going to referee. Give the referee up. The, the, the sledgehammer. So Triple H is able to swipe the hammer and use it right on Kane's arm and head. And there's the cover and the tag team belts. And he poses at the end with the title as Austin slinks off and... Uh, 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 uh. Okay, so I don't know the match time on this, but I'm assuming this went close to a half hour, right? Yeah. 25.02 and it felt every bit of it. Yeah, no and kidding. More. Yeah, no, no kidding. I hated... The the stalling early on. I'm not a fan of uh, of Steve Austin being this co- like a coward heel all of a sudden. Uh, I'm not really a fan of that. Uh, I'm not a fan of this match. Now let me explain why. So they do like a last minute pivot to Undertaker and Kane. When realistically, uh, aside from 
Taker and Triple H, which was a last second pivot for WrestleMania, uh, there was real no reason as to why these guys would be feuding for a pay per view on or for, in the main event of a pay per view. Um, everything on television would have made you think that this show would have had Steve Austin, Triple H against the Hardy Boys. That is where all the build is. That's where everything they were trying to do for Heat was at. Now, on paper, does that sound strong and intriguing? Probably not. But what I would have done here, and it may be repetitive because they had a similar match at WrestleMania, obviously, but I would have had Linda come out and say, Vince, you've made my life a living hell for however long. And at Backlash, after all the attacks and stuff on Lita and the Hardy Boys, and she'd be like, hey, you know what? At Backlash, it's going to be Austin, Triple H, and my daughter Stephanie against the Hardy Boys and Lita in a ladder match. Now, what a novel idea. Now, the reason why it's got to be a ladder match is because that's the Hardy Boys match. I mean, that's, they throw that in our face every time they can. So you're giving them the potential to pull off an upset without having to pin either man. Or, or or Stephanie, so that is what I would have done for this for the show, which is clearly a B show or a filler show, like because like as I've said, it's like what four weeks after WrestleMania seventeen, your biggest pay per view to to date. Why not just throw something else out there? You're not going to get nearly the amount of buys that you got at WrestleMania anyway, but why not give? The Hardy Boys and Lita, that pay-per-view main event shine, because God forbid that it might actually help elevate them, which is what we've been trying to do seemingly all, all month here. But of course, they have to pivot to Undertaker and Kane because, well, let's face it, they're the bigger stars, and in their mind, it's better to have Undertaker and Kane in the main event on 10-day build than compared to having a meaningful uh, storyline development for the last, you know, five weeks or so um i was not a fan of it and i'm not shocked of uh, austin and triple h winning the tag team titles i don't think anybody should be shocked because of course it's the two-man power trip and they have to have all the gold which means as you would have known from the opening video package that all the gold means all the power so guess what we're probably going to deal with for the next four or five months on television is just those guys in constant control because they have the power. It's just an extension of the McMahon-Helmsley storyline that also happens to have Austin on the same side as them. So I can't wait for more repetitive television, and uh, I'm not getting frustrated the more that I talk about it. Pete, I now really, really wish we were talking about the idea that Booker of the Year, Bob Collin, came up for our main event here. But with these people at the top of the card, we are where we are, and we got what we got. I think if it was 15 minutes shorter and it would have been on Raw, it would have been okay, wouldn't it? Because the ending was very much a, an end of Raw, wasn't it? With, you know, the, they've had to cheat to win and they can all celebrate and it's all Jim Ross is screaming down the microphone as usual. But And I think, to be fair, there was enough going on here. I think Taker did enough. I felt it was interesting with the whole Taker and Kane the tagging in and out that Taker didn't seem like he wanted Kane to be in there because of this this arm injury. That was a an interesting part of the match. A few times he was very reluctant. That's part obviously part of the storyline there that 
he didn't want Kane to be in there, and Kane visibly uh, sold his his arm. Is that legitimate? His arm, or is that is he just selling that for for the for the for an angle or whatever it may be? But I think that, it's a, an exaggerated legitimate injury. Yeah. Yeah. So th- that was an interesting little bit of in the match that you could almost see Kane almost heelishly tagging himself in when Taker clearly didn't want him to to do so. That was the only kind of real. I guess of interest because everything else you knew what was going to happen. You know, a two man power trip who are doing what they're doing aren't going to suddenly just be on their on their tails and lose all their titles, or you know, Austin loses the world title to one of these two. I think there was enough energy around the Undertaker and Kane just about, but for this amount of time, you know, nearly 25, 26 minutes, it was just so overdone, and I don't know, it just fed into everyone getting their bits in, getting their stuff stuff down. You know, Stephanie took a great a great shot. I'll give her that. That looked that looked quite good to be fair to her. Vince coming in massively predictable and a very predictable win. So B level main event, but just it's just too long and it's just I think I don't know who, whose idea was this to go nearly half an hour. And I think Bob made a great point about this whole Austin being this heel that everyone hates, but now he's almost like, he's like, like that chicken shit heel where he just wants to sit and, yeah, I should be like a Ric Flair. He begs off and wants to wants a handshake and, no, no, I'm sorry and please don't hit. That's not Steve Austin. You know, it's never been Steve Austin. So it, all of it just didn't, it just, I don't know, I probably contradicted myself a little bit. That didn't work at all for me, but it was what it was and it was just too long and I think it could have been a hell of a lot better if it was just a lot shorter, but the result would have been the same. But I really love Bob's Bob's idea there. That would have been an interesting uh, take to give the Hardys that advantage in their match. But sadly, Bob, you're not part of that team yet, are you? That writing team? Not yet. Not yet. Watch your space, listeners. Watch your space. Yeah. Yet doing a lot of heavy lifting there. There was a <laughs> hilarious piece that found its way into the news section of the PW Torch a week or so ago, where, and I quote, a key WWF source said that it is ludicrous to suggest that Triple H, Steve Austin, and The Undertaker are politicking their way to the top. There's never been less politics in the WWF in its history, and it's all about getting other people over. I'd love to know who this key WWF source is. Uh, I have my... Uh, I have my suspicions. Uh, uh, uh. So this match, if it wasn't enough that I had to write it down move for move, which admittedly wasn't that difficult, I now need to talk about it. It's painful. It would have been slightly more tolerable if they weren't rushing through their desperate attempts for Austin to get heat. When Triple H and Austin, if they have to be a team, and we've talked about it, they don't, but they do. They don't have a kayfabe or non-kayfabe. They don't have their own match structure down yet as a tag team. And that showed badly here. And against limited opponents like Undertaker and Kane, they've really got to have one. It was if Triple H and Austin knew they would have to carry the match, but didn't really know how to do it. And I think that's part of the reason it felt like such a chore 
maybe in about three, four months when they've really got their own skills locked together, we could see this again. I hope we don't see this again, because I know that I'm going to be doing the play-by-play for it again. And once is enough, thank you very much, thank you. Uh, I want to be doing this show for another 20 years. Another Undertaker Kane main event might well finish me off long before that. So again, don't hold me to that, WWF creative team member Bob Colling, listening to this. But this is what I mean. It's it's as if they think they're there with heel Austin and they haven't even begun yet. It's not enough just to say, that's it. You're on the bad guy side of the ledger. You can now do all this stuff and it's going to take and the crowd are going to go with you. No, it's not. So you both mentioned there about Austin begging off and the handshake stuff and saying that's not Steve Austin. At least he is trying something, but he shouldn't be rehearsing during the live performance. This is what he should have done three months ago when he's still on script and he's dressed in his T-shirt and jeans, looking at the director every couple of words. Shouldn't be doing it now. And it just looks like they've tried him as a sadistic heel. They've tried him as a follower heel. Let's try him as a cowardly heel. Maybe that will work. And it just betrays the fact we talked about two hours ago that they really don't have an idea how to do this. Having said that, I still would much rather talk about struggling heel Steve Austin than what we did get in this match. And as for the very end, oh my days. Triple H, Intercontinental Champion, Tag Team Champion, standing tall at the end, or Stone Cold Steve Austin just has to sidle off. Final shot we see is Mr. Levesque, and you wonder where I get it from. It's every bloody time with him, and it shows no sign of relenting. He always has to be that guy doesn't he the one who is feared but respected that is who we are supposed to bow down to he always gets to play every single fucking time he always gets to play oliver north poor old steve austin is lumbered with being bloody john poindexter i suppose to continue that metaphor that would make stephanie mcmahon fawn hall but i'm going to leave that one where it is for now Bob, I think that is a very good place to end our review of Backlash 2001. Sum up what we saw over the two hours, 42 minutes, and please give us a score rating out of 10. Well, I'm going to give it, uh, I think, you know what, I think I gave it a higher rating than uh, than what I'm going to do right now, because I think, <laughs> I think you guys talked me into doing this lower. So I'm going to go with a generous five. Uh, it's a B-level show. There's some decent action in here, but I think as you get closer, as you get further down the card, um, you realize that the main attractions just don't really deliver. I think the undercard kind of carries the show, but your main attractions of the last man standing, I would assume that's one of the main attractions, the last man standing match and the, uh, the main event, they just don't deliver enough here. But luckily, if you purchased it or if you were in the crowd, I think there's enough on the undercard where after you've bought it, it's not a complete waste of time. But in hindsight, I probably wouldn't want to uh, rewatch this again because uh, yeah, just some of the booking leading into the show just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And if I wasn't doing this, show i probably wouldn't have purchased it to talk about it so thanks 29.95 hey bob you're not getting that back 
Yeah, well, you know, this is better than Star Arcade 98. Okay. I'll, <laughs> well, I'll wait, wait, oh my God. <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll give him that. There was no, you know, uh, Fit Finley against Brian Adams or whatever it was on that show. So at least I avoided that. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a B level show. It's kind of like it, it felt like a raw. Like everything about the presentation, everything, it just felt like it was a, a special raw, uh, and not really a pay per view. But that's to be expected when you're coming off so so quickly off of WrestleMania. I probably would have just skipped uh, a second pay per view in April and just gone into uh, May. I don't think this was a necessary show uh, creatively for them. I don't think they were ready for it. I dread the day you finally get round to submitting your expenses form, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Just go through HR first, yeah? Okay, I'm yeah. going to be out that day. Your score out of 10 for Backlash 2001, Pete, and a review as well. Uh, so I'm a, I'm, I, I came into talking about the review at a six, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with Bob there. I've, I've gone down. I'm, I'm into five territory as well. And I think it's because as we've gone through it like that, I can't think what was match of the night because I don't really think there maybe the the European title match potentially because of you know for seven minutes they gave everything they had and it you know there was a bit of something there but nothing else really stood out but there was enough going on in in everything I suppose not to completely trash it if that makes sense it wasn't it was it was a, a weird kind of show I suppose now sort of in hindsight and going through it the way we have done here. You know, lots of the matches are just not my thing, which we didn't help, if that makes sense. And that's just the, the style of the matches and, and what, what was going on in them. The Duchess of Queensbury again, you know, it was so, so contrived. It was so obvious. Submission match we've gone through, you know, the last man standing, Shane, just just a, a ridiculous thing to, to do. And the, and the main event was far too long. Uh, the opener was pretty decent. I think five is probably, you know, just about right for it. It, it was, it was probably where it needed to be. I think it's just always going to struggle after the WrestleMania, the Heights, clearly they were never going to get anywhere near, uh, that particular show and had any right to probably straight away. But the fact that the, the main storyline has been, you know, the two man power trip that we've, we've just gone through and it's been so contrived with Austin's heel turn says it all about the main event of the show as well, which couldn't even bring it up to any sort of level. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go with a five as well. Yeah. I'm down at a four and a half and I'm very, very sad to have to report that the run is over. It's come crashing to a halt. That's a real shame. I didn't think this was, despite my comments, especially towards the end, I didn't think this was a particularly bad pro wrestling pay-per-view. There were no real bad matches on here mileage varying on the main event or not but it just felt so listless and bob saying that they could have skipped this pay-per-view really could have done and maybe even should have done even though of course they were never going to time is money and all of that it really felt a bit tossed off as if they were just playing for time Mm. Coming out of WrestleMania, you should have everything set in stone, knowing where you want to go. Instead, we had reasonable pro wrestling matches, but with nothing really being resolved or even put down as a marker for the future. Yes, Triple H and Austin winning the tag team titles definitely does not count as a marker. Okay, so a really disappointing show rather than a bad one. But after what we've been treated to since the beginning of the year, that's more than enough for me to turn my thumbs down. So... 
no pleasure in saying this whatsoever, but Backlash 2001, four and a half out of ten. Just before we finish this show, Pete, you wanted to mention this event that took place just a couple of hours ago as we record this. Very last knockings of the very last roar of the month, which was the two-man power trip once again beating down on a Taker and Kane after a title match between Austin and Taker went about two minutes. <laughs> That's more like it. Uh, you just wanted to say something about this one quickly. Yeah, I think it made a bit more sense and looked more dominant because of who they beat up. So we mentioned the, the Jeff Hardy scenario and that kind of calibre of opponent, but to sort of end the Undertaker and destroy him like the way they did, did send a bit of a bigger message and has got them a bit more on course to be that dominant kind of heel, the heel characters they've got and to dominate the roster, I suppose. So the Undertaker's better in that position to show off that whole whole scenario. So that worked a lot better. Um, Undertaker, I'm sure, thoroughly enjoyed taking that, that beating and having to to sell for those two. Um, again, we end the month a little bit as we begin, but a modicum probably of progress where this is all going to end up in terms of all the gold that's around their waist and what goes first will be interesting going into, into next month. But at least it was the undertaker taking the beating is probably the, I would say, you know, the, the biggest face they've got left now at least he took an absolute hiding as opposed to, you know, a mid-carder or, you know, as I say, a Jeff Hardy or a Matt Hardy or an Edge and Christian, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that made a bit more sense. But where is it all going? What's going to happen next? These two aren't a tag team. They're just the two most powerful men in the company who have to have the gold around their waist. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a, an interesting time when we get to the May, the May shows as to what they're going to do next. Bob, there are no plans to nix the Austin heel turn early. They're in it for the long haul. And what happened on the final roar of the month definitely suggested that. Your thoughts on the final beatdown and just generally if this thing, it seems ridiculous to even be asking this question after just four weeks, but if this thing can even be saved. Well, I thought it was kind of funny that right after the show that they wanted us to pay $40 for or whatever, that they actually put an angle to that match, but it's a day late. Like that's the most internet like that. This, the beatdown is what should have been happening leading into the pay-per-view mm-hmm. to kind of justify the viewer to pay for it. But instead we get the match before the build kind of, that's kind of how it felt like. Um, I don't, I don't see a way that they can possibly get Steve Austin over as a heel, at least to the point to where it's like, it's a, I mean, obviously they're profitable, but in terms of compelling and, you know, Oh, I want to throw my money at you. I just, I don't see it. I don't think they have, they don't have that top baby face to combat him. So when you don't have a guy like like the rock who is beloved, it kind of takes it away. It it hurts Stone Cold here. But if maybe if Rock had stuck around, um, it would have balanced it out a little bit better. But you know, Undertaker and Kane aren't like the strongest of baby faces for the draw at this point. And judging by that beatdown, because I thought a lot of the focus was on Kane's arm, so 
I'm kind of I'm thinking that Kane will be the challenger, which if I'm Vince McMahon in the storyline, kind of like how I mentioned earlier, you're going to want to give Austin the weaker opponent. So if he has that arm injury, uh, you can get that heat on Stone Cold for kind of taking the easier route. But, of course, you also have Linda, so who knows how that will play into it. But I think they are de- – I think by SummerSlam, they – or maybe even at SummerSlam, they're going to reverse course, and we're going to get the Triple H, Steve Austin run that we should have gotten the, the night after WrestleMania. Just before we head out of the time machine for another month, I'm going to play you a clip sent over by our own Chris Lacey. Very shortly after WrestleMania, the worst kept secret in professional wrestling was finally made public. That ECW has filed for bankruptcy and is no longer an ongoing concern. I'm sure in time the story of ECW, with its now very definite ending, will be told in these parts and elsewhere. But for now, let's listen to a shootably sombre Chris Lacey as he tells us how the inevitable end was reached. ECW, rest in anything but peace. Death of ECW. Heyman could not get out of financial trouble, and ECW closed on the 4th of April 2001. Heyman supposedly had never told his wrestlers that the company was on dying legs and weren't able to pay their bills for a while. The company was listed in having assets totaling $1,385,500, including that was a number of 860000 in accounts received owned by the company In Demand Network, Acclaim Video Games and the San Francisco Toy Company. The balance of the assets were the videotape library at half a million, a 1998 old truck worth just under 20 grand, and the remaining inventory of merchandise, $4. The liabilities the company totaled $8,881,435.17. Wrestlers and talent listed, amounts only ranging from $2 to Sabu to Steve Carino to in hundreds of dollars, where in some cases thousands of dollars. The highest amount owed to talent was RVD at $150,000. Shane Douglas at $145,000, Tommy Dream at $100,000, Joey Styles at just over $50,000, Brian at $50,000, and Francine with just under $50,000. ECW has died. And that brings us to the end of our April 2001 show. New beginnings, but we're going to be here for a very, very long time, so get used to it being WWF only, everybody. I'd like to thank my guest today, Bob Colling. Thank you so much for coming back and joining us today. It's been great to have you on. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Bob, you've got a lot else going on. Why don't you tell the listeners where else they can find you and some of your other projects? <laughs> yeah, so I have uh, rustandrecaps.com, which is basically just written reviews of uh, all the shows that you've probably ever seen or heard. Uh, it's updated almost daily at this point uh and then i also have two podcasts uh first is icopod with my buddies austin skinner and dallas gridley where we've been doing live watches of uh wbf television and pay-per-views and at this point we have just gotten to the 1996 royal rumble so uh, we're in that era we survived 1995 my buddy dallas joined in 95 and he's been very bitter about it 
But uh, <laughs> we were able to move past it, and our friendship has gotten stronger. Uh, and since I punished him with 1995 WWF, he has in turn punished me with a TNA podcast, the <laughs> TNA Cross Line podcast, where we started at show number one. And with that one, we just recently watched the April 30th, 2003 show, which is probably one of the most frustrating shows I've ever watched in my life, which featured Raven and Jeff Jarrett for the NWA World Championship. So if you enjoy uh, the new generation of the World Wrestling Federation and the crazy wackiness that is TNA Wrestling, you can check out Icopod and then the TNA Cross the Line podcast. Bob, thank you so much for putting yourself through the early days of TNA. So we don't have to on this show. There we are. Cross the line from episode one, everybody, because we're not doing it. It's <laughs> absolutely awesome. amazing how much stuff is going on in in that company. I can't from week to week. I just I forget because they they do like eight months worth of storylines in two hours, and it's like I don't even know where they left off. It's it's amazing. And maybe we will, maybe we will. But yes, don't let Bob suffer alone, everybody. Do check out his other. Yeah, join the fun. Fun, fun. And Pete, uh, you have something very interesting going on. On this very network. Yes, certainly do. So uh, Rory very kindly um, helped us record a prologue to a brand new show that's joined the uh, Wrestling 20 Years Ago Network as announced. I believe yesterday, Rory, or or if you were listening to this show, it would be out um, literally almost at the same time. Uh, And it is the um, Indie Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. So we finally uh, came together as a, as a group of uh, a fine young young gentlemen to look at indie wrestling after, obviously, the closure of ECW and also WCW. Um, and we're seeking out uh, basically what's out there 20 years ago from the independent scene that obviously creates itself in that sense after those two uh, promotions have closed. So it's a brand new show. You can follow us um at Indie Rest 20 Years. So please go along and follow the show. The prologue is out now, uh, which Rory very kindly helped us produce. And the first show will be recorded at the end of uh, the following month. Um, and we're hoping it's going to be uh, an interesting ride. But the prologue will tell you a lot more about who we are, who's, who's on the show. There's obviously um, Adam, Daniel, and uh, Billy, who will be on the show uh, with various guests along the way, hopefully, and a few of the guys on on the on the network as we're now probably calling it so it's going to be a lot of fun lots of stuff we've not seen so lots of stuff people probably haven't watched or seen before so it's gonna be a real journey to go through and really looking forward to it taking shape so please go and give us a follow on there and uh, look out for the first proper show to be coming out uh, at the beginning of june i would suggest Yep, landing about four weeks from now as this show goes out. I, as I said it on the prologue, I'll say it again. I cannot wait to hear what you guys come up with. Something very, very different for us. We really did need something to fill the long gap between monthly pay-per-views as we are now down to just one. And I can't think of anything better. We're in very safe hands. And I, perhaps more than anybody else, looking forward to the first show dropping in four weeks. Can't wait to hear it. Dropping each and every month. We're hoping to stagger the release of the Indie 20 Years Ago podcast, along with our Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast shows. Don't want to bombard you, but we just want to keep the content ticking over. On that topic, do watch out for our two WWF shows landing for the month of May. We've got our UK-only pay-per-view, and we've got Judgment Day, so watch out for those. This, of course, would normally be the part where I plug our other volumes, but 
you want to have me on that one. I just want to say one more time, thank you for so much for listening to this and sticking with us out of WrestleMania. I know we've had a lot of new listeners won over by that one. We hope you stay with the whole course for 20 years' time and beyond and do dip back into the archives for our nearly 300 shows if you are new to us and want to start the journey all the way from SummerSlam 93. But I'm going to wrap up now because my voice is starting to go. He's Bob Colling. He's Pete Kimber. I'm Rory McNamara, and wouldn't you want us on your side too?